Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, September the 3rd, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle. I'm in the house with Mr. Bob Ryer. Where's Steve? Uh, he is not here. Uh, <laughs> uh, but joining us from Canada is Miss Stephanie Cook. Hello. It's just a, it's a mighty three there this we go. week. Um, yeah. We are going to be talking uh books of the week obviously a little bit of news answering some listener questions and stephanie will recount her uh her exploits at fan expo yeah that just that just passed um why don't we start out with that stephanie all right um Um, how how was uh well what is fan expo if people don't know and how was it well fan expo is like pretty much canada's biggest convention it's like the san diego kind of of canada um, it's in Toronto, downtown at the Metro Toronto Convention Center, and it's a pretty big deal. Um, in past, they usually get some big comics guests, they get big celebrities, and, um, you know, a lot of other big deal fan kind of things, thus Fan Expo. Um, I'm not entirely sure how long it's been going on for, but uh, I've been going for quite some time, and this was obviously my latest venture. Um, and I didn't really have any distinct purpose for a reason to be at the show this year, but <clears throat> I wandered around and kind of just helped out at various booths and wandered and bothered the people at the Silver Snail for a while <laughs> and stole their water and Oreo cookies. I ate a lot of Oreos from the Silver Snail booth. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, helped my friend run her Suckers Apparel booth. Um, she has like cool superhero bathing suits and, uh, dresses and leggings. And then did I you, just, pardon did me. You do the whole modeling thing this year? Last at New York Comic Con, you were doing a Catwoman dress. Yeah. I, I wore the Catwoman dress oh, this cool. year too on Saturday. And you know, like with my friends, it's so funny. Cause like I can be like, I can take like silly photos and be like, and then do like Catwoman <laughs> face and all this stuff. But then like these people were like, Hey, can I get a photo? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then I would like like weird smile and hand on the hip and it's like what am i doing <laughs> and um on thursday me and my friend uh megan we dressed up as gwen stacy and mary jane oh so she was mary jane and i was gwen stacy um and people would ask us for photos and i looked at like a bunch of the photos and i have like this weird floating hand thing going on i'm like what is my hand doing <laughs> like oh what is happening and there was a Spider-Man that followed us around. And he was like, yeah, he was like, every time he, he's like, let's get a photo. Let's get another photo. Oh, my God. I haven't gotten a photo with a MJ and a Gwen before. And then he was like, would you guys add me to Facebook? 
and they'd go away, and then be like, do you guys want to be friends? It's like, oh, I think it's time for us to change. <laughs> but uh, As long as the Green Goblin didn't come up behind you. Yeah, yeah, it was good. We survived. I was Gwen Stacy, and again, Megan was MJ, but she rocked it. Everyone's like, is that your real hair to her? Hmm. She had a really good wig. Um, and she she kept on doing, like, bitch face to me, like, oh, Peter's mine. And every time I tried to do bitch face at her, like, be like, you whore. Um, <laughs> I kept on laughing, so I just gave oh. up and just smiled at all the photos. <laughs> well, that's what Gwen would do, so that was perfect. I couldn't, I couldn't do, like, serious face, so um, we had lots of fun wandering around, and lots of people got it, although one person thought I was Felicia, and I was like, no, dum-dum. <laughs> no. Um, and, like, the rest of the weekend was good. I kind of just spent some time hiding at booths. I, like, spent some time wandering around watching, like, Carrie Nord uh, do some art, and Yannick Paquette, and Nimit Malavia, who is on the Fables covers. Uh-huh. Um Talking with some other people, I did. I meant to do more interviews, but I didn't really get around to it. But um, I will be talking about a book that I absolutely loved as one of my books of the week. And I did an interview with one of the creators, and it'll tie into that. And mm. that's, I believe, are we putting that in the show? Yes, yeah, so it'll be later in the show. Yeah, and we'll have it as a separate thing as well. But you can listen to that a little later on. But um, the show was, though, the one thing I have to say about it is. This year, they didn't book a ton of comics guests, like big comics guests. So the whole convention kind of felt like not necessarily geared to our people. Mm. Um, And like a lot of the people wandering around felt more like comics tourists. Like they were just there as a byproduct of coming to see like Matt Smith and, you know, um, Mm. the celebrities. So that was a bit weird. Like it, the vibe of the show was a bit different than it had been in um, past years. But I mean, I guess that happens. And to you know, to Fan Expo's credit, they do call themselves Fan Expo and not Comic Con. Right. So I mean, at least that sort of still fits. Yeah. From the name, I never, you know, I, I, I kind of more associated it uh, as a. Um, more of a you know pop culture convention mm-hmm. than a comic book convention, just from the name and without doing research. Whenever I heard about it over the years, so the fact that it has has so much of a comic focus actually surprised me when we first started doing uh, the show. Yeah, usually like the Wizard World show that's in town and stuff is much more celebrity focused, and we usually have a really big comics uh, presence, but not this year. Hmm. Uh, apparently, like Dan Slott was around, but he was he didn't have a booth or anything. He just did like autograph signings in uh, like their special comic section and Stan Lee was there and I know like Jill Thompson got a chance to meet him and hang out. I got to go to this really cool, uh, on the last podcast, uh, Cameron Stewart uh, talked about the raid studio that, uh, was started with like chip. Mm -hmm. Um, and the raid studio is like pretty prestigious now, you know, you wouldn't know that it started out (laughs) from the deranged mind of Chip Zdarsky and, (laughs) Uh, Cameron Stewart and Cam- or Chip also had Zadarsky Con, Zadarskon, and what? he just he just <laughs> sat outside Fan Expo with a comfy chair and his books and a like, um, <laughs> and he brought a banner and he just sat outside and sold the things and signed things. <laughs> um, there's photos; it's amazing. But anyways, like the Raid Studio, they had a big party, um, and so I got to see like a ton of people there and run into 
really cool people and um i had dinner with like well there was like this big dinner and apparently at, after that they were like oh my god that was so cool we had dinner with like so and so and i was like who's that and the guy sitting beside me was uh mom mom azrar who does like the supergirl yeah he, uh-huh. he did it yeah now he's actually doing um all new x-men oh yeah well everyone was like really excited about that afterwards and i had no idea i didn't hear what his name was <laughs> so i didn't feel like asking six times <laughs> to be like what what was your name? What? It's like, what do you do? <laughs> and so I just was like, mm-hmm, okay. And then just, like, talked to him, and he was really nice. Um, but, yeah, I didn't real pick up on who that was until much later. But it was a really cool show, and I got a couple new cat sketches from my cat sketchbook. Um, but, unfortunately, I only have, like, by the time you guys are hearing this podcast, I will be en route to Baltimore Comic Con. So, no rest for the wicked no i Definitely think not. some of our listeners are heading in that direction so yeah we've had yeah. a few people so if yeah obviously if you guys are going to be there just like every time uh tweet at us or tweet at stephanie and and uh hopefully you guys can meet up yeah i'll be at booth 116 with bill willingham i think um the whole fables crew will be in that area but we just posted bill's schedule on his website so pretty much anywhere he's listed as being in that spot there's a good chance i will be nearby as well awesome Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we look forward to hearing about Baltimore Comic Con mm-hmm. as well. It's just a rolling con now, report for you. I get back on Monday, so just in time for Tuesday <laughs> podcast. And <laughs> then on Wednesday, I leave for Montreal, and then I'm back in time for the podcast. So. Look at that. Thank you for making your schedule that way, Stephanie. You're it, welcome. It's appreciated. <laughs> I know how much you miss me otherwise. It's true. We it's do. True. I, w- I will never admit to it, Stephanie, but... <laughs> I'll let Bob admit for me. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here when I can. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, we're going to do uh, some listener questions and do some books of the week. But uh, before we get there, there was a couple couple little news items we wanted to talk about. Um, and we actually, one of them, a listener actually asked us, um, this is uh, at Naughty Line on Twitter. He said, what do you make of the latest round of Marvel cancellations? Is another relaunch on the horizon so soon? Um, so Bob, why don't you fill us in on what's been canceled in the last, uh, I guess the last week or so we've some news. So what I've read, Elektra is definitely canceled, Mm -hmm. I guess is with issue 12 and Ghost Rider and Invaders are now on a month to month sell or be gone sort of deal. Which makes me think they're going to be gone. Yeah, because they're not selling well and they're drifting away. The sales are drifting away. Uh, I think the Secret Avengers might be part of this too. Oh, Okay. Relaunch? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the big high mucky mucks are saying no, they're not rebooting, they're not doing this. Uh, I think it was Axel Alonso in his column for CBR. Someone asked, well, are we going to see, I forget what character it is, so, a bigger role for so-and-so in the future? Well, after the re... Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> so they're, they're playing. So I think it, there's not going to be a reboot. I think we are going to start to see relaunches, and they're going to do it a lot. I think once a year, we're going to go to that volume thing. Mm-hmm. And, look, no one collects. There's still some old people like me who want to have the entire set and care that they have 700 consecutive issues in order in a box. The books aren't read in that way anymore. So if if it gets the books to sell and keeps you moving forward and you want to relaunch and that keeps quality books in front of people, it's not the worst thing. Mm-hmm. I wish they wouldn't double ship everything. Right. That's That's a <laughs> bigger issue taking all my money away. 
I thought I only read the first Electra. I really enjoyed it. I was hoping to eventually move forward into buying this as a trade, and now I well, guess there'll be trades. Yeah. <laughs> two, be, two of them. Probably two trades. Yeah. yeah. Um, Seventy. How do you feel about Electra being canceled? I'm so sad about it. I like. I think it was really well done, and the art was great. The story was great, and I said this a little bit before the show, but I think it's really weird that they would cancel it. You know, it's one of their books where they're like, strong female leads. And they're like, strong female leads canceled. Yeah. And it's a really strange move for them to do, especially before trade comes out. I mean, we're still in a phase where, I mean, women are obviously getting way more into comics. And they're finally being listened to. And companies are giving us the comics that, you know, they think we want to read. And in this case, this is something that we want to read. And... People don't always go into stores. Like, women are still, you know, local comic book shops are still weird with a lot of women. And they order things on Amazon. You can't get single issues on Amazon. You get trades on Amazon. And the fact that Marvel's canceled it before they've even seen, you know, how many trades people are Mm -hmm. buying of this seems like such a bizarre move. Like, I don't know. It just feels really wrong. That they just aren't giving it this. I mean, they're, I know they're continuing it on, but it, it seems like they have no faith in what this series could do. I'd be wondering, wonder what the digital sales were. We know on some of the other books where they're, the digital sales on Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel are apparently nearly what they are physically. Physically, yeah. is it possible that Electra is not that? I wouldn't. I couldn't see why, considering the other books are doing well. Well, I mean, I think there. Are, I think there's a couple reasons why. I think one. I think that. I think Captain Marvel probably took a while to it, it took a while to drum up that sort of you know following. We, we mm-hmm. saw it happen, right? We saw it, we saw it hit, and then we saw it seemed to wane a little bit, and all of a sudden it seemed to just explode. Uh, and not so much in physical sales of the books, but in, in perception of the book and kind of cultural imprint. It happened huge. Um, and uh, Ms. Marvel, I think, was a perfect touchstone for that because it, it, the Carol Core already become this 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 entity, and Ms. Marvel was able to you know take that momentum and add much of its own momentum uh, for being a minority character, you know, for being a, a, a young character, for being a, a, a young girl character, something that, you know, is not seen in comic book world, uh, on top of that being, and most importantly, being an excellent book, yeah. was able to take off. I think that um, Electra, although a known character in popular culture, I don't think had the same foot to jump off of. I, I think that uh, unlike Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel, who are to the uninitiated, you know, names they don't know. So they're starting from nothing, which is sometimes bad, but it's good compared to starting from, oh, it's like that crappy movie that came out, yeah, there you, go. you know, eight years ago or whatever it was at this point. Um, I think that can be an issue. I think also, uh, I think Lecture is an excellent book, but unlike Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, uh, the art style is incredibly intense and I think is is intimidating for anyone who doesn't read comic books. If you open that book and you look at that book, you know, I know a lot of people who don't read comic books and they don't do it because they they feel intimidated by just following regular panel structure. Mm-hmm. So to open that book and yes, you'd be like, wow, this is amazing. This is gorgeous to look at. Um, I, I think that it might be intimidating for people who don't regularly read comic mm-hmm. books or even there, maybe they read Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel and they go over to this and they're like, this does not look anything like Sure. Um, and maybe that's interesting to them, but maybe it's it's tougher to, to keep on for kind of more casual readers. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about I, I th- Stephanie. I do agree with you. I think that um, I, I think it's a shame whenever series that has critical acclaim 
uh, is canceled before there's a chance to see if that audience can grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens all the time. Obviously, if they're not getting the numbers they want, they're gonna they're gonna cut the book. Um, and if they don't see potential to grow, uh, which maybe they don't, uh, they're definitely gonna cut it. But I, I think that the book is excellent and different, and uh, I, I think a really good example of how you do, um, you know, a female character in a very interesting, strong but very artistic way. And I, it's, it's a shame it's going away. Hopefully the 12 issues will meet around. And maybe if, if, if they do end up selling a lot of trades or being very popular, we get a return of the character or a mini series or, or something like that to, to bring her back. Um, but it is, it is really a shame because I think that it's been uh, a, a kind of a special book at, at Marvel and it's, it's too bad it's going away. Uh, as for the other two, uh, all new invaders and um, all new ghost rider, uh, Bob, I know you've been enjoying All New Invaders v- yeah. very much. Um, I've, I I enjoyed Ghost Rider. I think I, I love the art more than I love the story. Uh, and I hope Trad Moore does more things with, with Marvel in, in some form or another. But it doesn't surprise me, you know, that book going away. It doesn't seem like it hit the way that I, they, I think they were hoping for. But I think with a lot of these books, Electra's part of that too. I, wrote, I, I put it in with the Ghost Rider thing. They're, th- they're, they're, they're throwing stuff at the wall and they're going to see what sticks. You know, because I think they know now that there's stuff they don't know. You know, th- yeah. that there's an audience out there that is ready to be tapped, and you're not going to hit it every time. You know, it's not always going to be Ms. Marvel or Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. but I-, I think that, you know, you, you don't know until you try. So I think that's why you're seeing books like Electra, like All New Ghost Rider, which is a crazy looking book, and also it's a, you know, it's a different Ghost Rider. It's a, it's a Latin American, um, you know, protagonist. So it's different stuff there. So I hope that they keep doing it and keep trying it. And hopefully we get the next one of those books to pop in, in some really, really big way. Unfortunately, like all media and all stories, it seems like quality isn't always, is, n- is never going to be an, a, an assurance that you're going to Absolutely. do well. You know, it's just, it's hopefully it's a bonus, but you know, who, who knows what's going to happen. It'll with be, that. I mean, Chad Moore is great. And I'm going to be really interested to see um, the legacy of Luther Strode in January. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going to be, you know, when that series comes to an end and you have like all three trades, it's going to be interesting to go back and read them all at once to kind of see Chad Moore's evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's going to be like, you know, kind of his first book that gave him kind of a name in the industry. And then, you know, the second one is him a little further down the line. And this one's going to be him post Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really cool to see kind of what kind of twists and turns his style has taken since, I mean, since then. Yeah. And it, he's a great story. And he's one of those stories that is the reason why if you want to do something, you just do it. Because I'm pretty sure, and I'm remembering this story from when we first started, because that's when the the, 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 the strange talent at Luther Strode first started. Um uh, was that it was um, he was a D- DeviantArt guy like he just oh. posted a lot of DeviantArt and that's how he was discovered um, by Justin Jordan uh, and then the, he, Justin, Jordan, Justin Jordan found him and that's what he decided to do um, Luther Strode with so it's an in- interesting uh, take on him and as far as the relaunch thing look we've been hearing about this for months now I mean the Avengers time runs out time runs out thing I I, I understand why people are leaping to that estimation but I need you have to trust someone who reads nearly every single PR thing that Marvel puts out. That is like every single one of their PR things is time runs out. Things are going to change. That's just, that's just PR speak because they want it to seem like a big, big deal and they want to seem like an event and they want people to buy it. 
does that mean it's not going to happen? Absolutely not. But I think what more you're looking at is, is possibly the end of Jonathan Hickman's time on the Avengers mm-hmm. more than some sort of full universal reboot. Because right now it just doesn't make sense for them to do it. I don't know um, what they would be gaining necessarily, except for maybe a couple of months of numbers. But they, but I, I don't know if that's something they're interested in. Maybe maybe it is. I mean, I don't know what they're what the higher ups are, are telling them to do, but it just seems like they don't need it. So I don't know why they do it. Well, there's no clamor for it. Yeah. I mean, we go back to the DC crisis where they felt the universe was so complicated. We needed to change things mm-hmm. and they needed to change it again when they realized they hadn't quite done the complete job they needed to. I think their new 52 was just, they thought they had reached the end with some of the books that mm-hmm. they had just, we sold so many, told so many stories over so many decades what do we do to change this up that's really different? And they went there. Yeah. And to their credit, that, that was a hell of a gamble. Yeah. And it paid off. It drifted away some, but mm. it still paid off. Yeah, but but it, it did pay off because they are now, like they might they might you know finish behind Marvel every month in, in little increments, but that gap is way smaller than it, it was. was before they did it. Yep. Um, and, you know, maybe Marvel does it because, you know, when you're in front, you've got to, be bold you've got to do things to mm-hmm. stay in front and not wait until you're behind and be reactionary i just don't think hitting the reset button is something that's going to do well for them in any no. sort of major way because because of what you said before it, they've been doing kind of this soft reboot thing every year anyway where they've been renumbering books and kind of yeah. trying to get people ins you know with with right. their series that are constantly going on and i think that is working for them so i would and I think the evolution of digital distribution is going to help even more because all of a sudden the back catalog is just there at your fingertips. So I, I, don't, I don't see them doing it. But again, I mean, they could surprise us and do it. Yeah, I think they're, as, as I'm one of them, I think the Marvel fan base is, looks at the books a different way. Mm. Everyone's always embraced the fact the universe started in that place and the sliding Marvel time scale, scale exists. Reed and Ben did not fight in World War II because they'd be 80 years old. Mm-hmm. So, okay, great. We, we buy that and we just move forward. It's not important yeah. to do anything else. How many of those people do you cheese off permanently mm-hmm. who enjoy everything? And there might be many more of us than that were on the DC side. Maybe. Stephanie, what do you think? you think there's going to be a relaunch? I don't know. Um <sighs> I'm hit and miss on this relaunch stuff, you know. There's two sides to it for me because it's kind of silly to keep rebooting it. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, look, I think, I think for new... If I, if I was on the outside, this much like I was for the DC thing, if I heard about this happening, it would absolutely excite me as someone who wasn't reading comic mm-hmm. books and someone who loved the movies and, and wanted to know more about the characters. Uh, and if they do it and they do it well, then we'll see what happens. We, the thing I think is interesting about Marvel compared to DC, and, and this is most of the Marvel universe comes from one man's brain, right? It, it's yeah. it's very much in a lot of ways an actor universe. That's it. Uh, and then DC is not that at all. DC is a collection of heroes created by m- many, many people put into the same universe. And so rebooting things sort of makes more sense with them because in all the times they've done it because you need to somehow bring them into the same real place. Yes. Yeah. And try to make them the, the same tone in some way or one another, you know, make them feel more unified. I, I feel like at, while Stan Lee is still alive and around, I feel like Marvel is hesitant to do anything like that because they would feel like it was an affront to the person who created wow. all of it. And not that they wouldn't because it's owned by Disney and Disney doesn't yeah. care about Stan Lee. They're just, you know, they think they can make more money. Yeah. They're going to do it. But 
I feel like uh, it, it, in that decision-making process on the lower level, I think it makes, them, it makes it harder for them to do that because they don't want to erase what this man who, who they have to maybe see at least yeah. a few times a year, you know, um, created on, on his yeah, own. That's interesting. That may explain ultimates, mm-hmm. the new universe back yeah. in the eighties that, okay, we'll find a sidebar universe mm-hmm. to tell new stories in, but not yeah. blow yours up. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's just my, my, my thought on it yeah. because the guy, it's like, it would be like rebooting, you know, Romeo and Juliet if William Shakespeare was still alive. You know, it doesn't, <laughs> he'd be in the theater throwing fruit at the <laughs> yeah, stage. Exactly. Um, so yeah, and the only other thing that really it's it's not really news, but in case anybody doesn't know this, um, DC registered four domain names. Oh really? JusticeLeagueFilm.com, ShazamMovie.com, WonderWomanTheMovie.com, and AquamanMovie.com. Uh-huh. So we've we've already talked extent about the rumors and what could be from the DC movie slate, but I just wanted people to know that that was that was going on. Uh, Shazam. Shazam. <laughs> so sorry to see those books go that we talked about before, but um, we'll see what comes new. And I think we'll see new announcements coming relatively soon. Yeah. We're going to get ones at New York, absolutely, at the latest. Um, all right. So you want to move on to, to lightning round? Sure. S- Stephanie, are you ready? I think I am. Hang on. Let me pull up my list of things that I've actually been reading. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. All right. Lightning round. Go. All right. So Velvet uh, series, obviously, we've talked about a lot. Ed Brubaker, Steve Epstein, I believe. Yes. Um, I love this book so much. If you're not reading it, you need to read it. It's everything you want a spy thriller to be, but with an amazing badass chick in the front. It's like James Bond if... Like, Eva Green's character was the lead. <laughs> so awesome. Um, and I can't get enough of it. There was a really cool article that I really want to uh, point your attention to if you didn't get a chance to read it, though. In the back uh, of the issue, Jess Nevins wrote a cool article on, like, the mythology of the sidekick, like, women in kind of badass roles. And it's really, 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 really well done and I really think everyone should read it. It's fantastic and just excellent. So make sure that if you picked up Velvet 6 and you didn't read that, you go back and check it out. It's really cool. Coffin Hill. I've been catching up on that. I read issues 8 through 10. And, um, you know, in the first arc, I really wanted to see Caitlin Kittredge touch on Eve Coffin's past, like how she caught the, um, the killer that kind of, put her uh, in the spotlight as a cop and they didn't really they kind of only ever gave you tidbits and I was kind of like oh I want more of this story and the second arc is that story so I was like yes this is bitchin um I'm so all about it and I was actually tweeting with her and she she was just talking to me about it and was like yes we really want to tell the story it's like I'm so happy to be putting it out there and it's so good I might like coffin hill the second arc more than i liked the first one and that's saying a lot because i thought the first arc was great um anaki miranda is doing amazing things with the art and just works really really well with caitlin kittredge's vision of what she wants this book to be um alex and ada continues to be really good the last couple of issues have um kind of turned the tables and while it was kind of a blossoming love story between a man and a robot it's kind of evolved into 
um, almost, you, you can see it, the roots of sort of a fugitive and a law-breaking kind of aspect are going to come into it as um, the people in the future are cracking down on sentient robots. Uh, so that series is continuing to be really great, too. I just read so many good things. and hmm. uh, You have 14 seconds. Um, well, I won't get into my other one that I was going to bring up, but another time. Love comics. Read lots of great things last week. <laughs> the end. Awesome. Well, there's a, I guess every issue of Velvet has tons of extra stuff. The yeah. Way, all this image stuff. The first one was all about, you know, Honey West and Mrs. Peel and everything else. Mm-hmm. I only read the first two, loved it. Then now I'm torn because the trades don't have all the extra stuff. <laughs> so you have to sort of wait. I actually bought the trade for our friend Jackie right, for yeah. her birthday. And the trade, it's, it's just the colors, the paper. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. She's not the typical heroin in that she's well it's it's between time periods so it's was it late 70s stuff and she's probably 40 yeah and it goes back and forth like it's kind of starting to tell some of her past story um but it's just like it really is kind of james bondish but Mm -hmm. if it was a female lead right if miss moneypenny was the lead yeah Right, yeah. yeah. And told in such an offhanded way. It's not as if, oh, look at the stuff she's doing. It's mm-hmm. just, that's what she does. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Which is jump out windows and yeah. shoot 47 <laughs> people and, yeah. and yeah. act all femme fatale when necessary. In yeah. the first issue, um, you know, Velvet is a secretary and they don't ever really explain why she was a secretary if she was like this badass, you know, spy the whole time. But this issue actually does address that. Mm. Um, and it Ooh. tells you like what happened um, that brought her to that desk. Okay. Now, if or, that's in, yeah. if that if this issue six is in the trade, which I guess it would be, I usually one to six. I think so, yeah, I think so, yeah. And then I'll have to buy one of these for myself. <laughs> or borrow, ja- borrow Jackie's, borrow and, Jackie's. Not, and not give it back. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, if so you, I, I'm, I'm sure when they do more like the deluxe versions, they'll have more of that. Because yeah. I don't know, I haven't, I have not looked in or researched the Fatal ones that are coming out, but I'm sure that they probably have those extra things in because again the books had the, yeah. the individual issues had the extra bits in it well i got burned on sex criminals yeah, yeah you missed the letters page which is like the, the letters page one of the greatest parts of that yeah. book <laughs> i figured i could buy this all at once yeah. and it was one of those image ten dollar ones yeah. and they cheated me yeah but that's one of the that's one of the books i am st- still buying monthly just but, for that reason because i read those letters at the back and laugh my ass off <laughs> Um, maybe they'll do a special issue of just the letters. Yeah, maybe. They should just do, do Sex Criminals, the letters. That'd be awesome. Maybe you should have a column like Dear Abby. Yeah. <laughs> they should really put it in the paper. Or know what uh, paper you put it in. Don't though. give Chip Zdarsky so a, a column in the newspaper. It'd be scary. He actually <laughs> is a columnist for... Oh, really? Uh, yeah. He actually, that's... He writes for The National. Oh, wow. In Canada. Interesting. Um, he actually is like an illustrator for us, too. Oh, and wow. under his real name. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, <gasps> didn't know he had a real name. He does. Are we are we allowed to say it? Yeah, I mean that's why I was like really confused for a long time because oh, is that his Twitter name? Yeah, because oh. I mean he has Chip Zdarsky that he goes by for comics, but yeah. um, Steve Murray is his real name, and like <laughs> I couldn't understand like for probably two years I saw Chip at parties all the time, and I was like I don't understand why. The guy who works for the National keeps on showing up at all these comic book parties. <laughs> and, like, I didn't realize, because, like, we're, like, I follow him on Twitter at Steve, and, like, he followed me, too. And, like, I was, like, this is so weird. Like, 
why? And then I finally, like a couple months ago, actually, put two and two together that Steve and Chip were the same person. I like texted my friend Danny and was like, are Chip and Steve? She's like, I just found that out too. <laughs> and it was like this mass revelation. That's but. crazy. Interesting uh, nom de plume. Yeah. yeah. So Chip Zdarsky is his pe- one of his pen names. He has a he few. He's an interesting dude. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, he, he's got a he he he's one of those things like one of those guys. It's like just a special kind of like uh, uh, personality for a world like comic books because yep. the, it's the last place really where you can have like in no other industry. If you were one of the top people, would you be able to have multiple names and no one know about it? Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. If he was in TV or in movies, people would know. Oh, you know, Chip Zdarsky's real name is this. Uh, but that that would never, but it doesn't happen in comics. People just go, oh, his name is Chip Zdarsky, he, and he has like this whole cult of personality around him, and he has this whole other identity. He's like a superhero himself. Is a superhero. Wow. <laughs> um, and I kind of messed up. I just want to backtrack for one second back to Velvet and that oh, article yeah. I mentioned because I kind of messed up the name. But it's called the Female Sidekick from Myth to Reality by Jess Nevins. Okay. Um, and it's a really great read. So, cool. Bob, writing, you especially, I think, will I, really. I'm writing it. it down as we speak. Um. <laughs> That's number six? Yep. Okay. It touches on, like, you know, in the first paragraph alone, it goes through, like, um, Amazon Queens, Greek mythology, and then, like, Maid Marian and stuff. So, you'll Mm. like it. It's right up your alley, I think. So, I'll have to buy the trade and issue six. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Or just rip that page out, maybe. I'm going to send you this link, because maybe you can read it here. But, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. It's really good. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) All right, Bob, you ready for lightning round? Sure. He's always what? ready for lightning round. <laughs> and go. Steed and Mrs. Peel, Where Needed, which is number two of three. Well, in this one, Steed takes a trip. Emma visits the underground. Great fun and really captures the spirit of what the old show was in an amazing painted That's cover. A very nice cover. Alice Zhang, hmm, who I had not heard of before, but will from here on in. Uh, Harley Quinn, number 10. Harley's at Skate Club. Versus the Massapequa murderer oh boy. who has bionic parts and it's all a disaster and she gets help from Cyborg and you get a strange visitor from another planet. Hmm. Uh, but I'm not saying who that is. Avengers 34, we get Kang, Immortus, Iron Lab, Benod, Ramatutter, Doctor Doom, or Scarlet Centurion, lots of time travel stuff. Cap makes a choice, but is it the right one? And will it even make a difference? Because time runs out. <laughs> Uh, anyway, patience is running out. I can tell you that. I've just about had enough. We've got to get this over with. It's just going sideways. Uh, Star Trek, Harlan Ellison, Sitting on the Edge of Forever, number three. Uh, in this issue, we're really starting to see the Kirk and Spock situation. They're visiting, you know, Depression Year in New York. So that really comes into play. And we meet Edith Keeler, the Joan Collins character from this famous episode. There are some changes, but it, it so reinforces what they were doing and seeing Harlan's words with this gorgeous art. It's all painted by JK Woodward who did fallen angel with Peter David just captures so much here that hadn't been in the show as we had it. So that is a really good one too. And finally invaders number nine, which we just talked about now captain America is still cap here and namers on the side of the angel. So where this fits into continuity, I have no idea at all. But some really great action sequences here. There's an army of Deathlock robots, including the original Luther Manning from Rich Buckler back in the 70s. There's an evil Nazi scientist leftover guy. And so he's trying to basically capture the human torch and break him down. That happens way too often to the poor torch. So (laughs) 
I, I'm really enjoying this book. I've got to tell you, you've got lots of stuff here that's got connections to other 70s series. I don't want to say too much if people are waiting or trade waiting on this or who are fans of other 70s books that might have been in Amazing Adventures and have to do with Martians. And I'll just leave it at that. So that's uh, all new, all new, all new now, all new number nine invaders, I guess. Death by Deathlock. Death by Deathlock. That's it. Also a nice cover. Yes. It was a good week for covers. Yeah. Including Hero Cat, which I put on our covers of the week. I picked for, I picked for you, Stephanie. Did you see that? I saw Hero Cats. I, oh, cats. I knew you would have picked it, so I picked it for you. You're the best. There you go. I'm done. Did I make it? <laughs> yeah, you made it fine, Bob. You had you still had like a minute left. Okay. <laughs> you are I gotta, the I gotta put more. I got to put more books in from now on. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so here I go. Lightning round, uh, go. All right, so uh, all new X-Men number 31. This is uh, Brian Michael Bendis and the aforementioned Mahmoud Asrar uh, on art. Uh, we are now kind of in the wake of uh, the the last will and testament of Charles Xavier. But what this is dealing with, Noor, is more kind of multidimensional fun. We have more return of the Ultimate Universe intersecting with the mm. regular Marvel Universe. Uh, there are some tears in, in reality. And the book actually starts with the Ultimate Universe characters kind of looking through the tear, wondering what's going on through it. And then at the very end of this book, we get a uh, an introduction of a U- Ultimate Universe character into the regular Marvel Universe for the first time so i'm really looking forward to see what it does this book does the next couple of uh, of months um which will probably be about nine issues so um (laughs) uh the other book i want to talk about really quick is superman number 34 uh jeff johns john romita jr and klaus jansen uh jeff johns john romita jr doing great things with superman i mean this this issue in particular deals heavily in emotion and kind of the heart and soul of superman and it does a really really fantastic job with it it, it shows you more of um, Ulysses' origin, who is kind of this new Superman that's entered the fray um, and deals with consequences of overusing your powers and um, the importance of family. And the Romita Jr. art, which I thought in the last issue was inconsistent, again, here is uh, kind of spot on, like it was in the first. So it's inconsistent, but it's been, you know... Consistently inconsistent. Exactly. <laughs> and the times where it's been on, it's been beautiful. So I, I really, really enjoying that book. Really, really great stuff. Uh, the other book that I want to talk about in my lightning round is uh, Doctor Who, the Tenth Doctor, number one. This is from uh, Titan Publishing. It's by uh, Nick Abadezis. I can't say Alice. Uh, that's the writer, and Alice uh, Zhang and Elena Casagrande are the artists uh, on the book. Um, this is kind of an in-between time of the the Tenth Doctor, which is the D- David Tennant Doctor, um, after Donna Noble has kind of left the fray. It's before we get to the end of this of his run, um, and it's a really really spot on uh, Doctor Who little fun adventure. Um, we're obviously getting the makings of a new companion for him, and they nail the look and the voice of, of Tennant really really well here. It put, brought a smile to my face. I've been in a kind of a Doctor Who kick this weekend. I caught up with all the stuff that I that I had missed, mm. um, and had really enjoyed it. So. I was looking for something else and I remember that Titan had sent over a couple of these so I, I checked it out and if you love Doctor Who and especially if you love David Tennant uh, I, I think it's a really really good place to go um, there's also a Matt Smith one they're doing an 11th Doctor one I did not get a chance to read that issue yet uh, but there are two issues that Tennant went out and they're both uh, really really good if you're a fan uh, of Doctor Who I don't know I don't know how it would read if you don't know what's going yeah. on because I can't divorce myself from knowing so much about it but uh, really, really fun. It's tough to nail those voices, and they nails the voice of Tenant really, really well. So, really good stuff. 
And that's it for my lightning round. Have you watched the... Oh, go ahead, Steph. Oh, I just wanted to ask you, have you been watching... Have you seen the Peter Capaldi stuff yet? I have not. That's what I was going to ask. I literally just finished the Matt Smith stuff on... Yes, on Monday. Okay. Uh, I just watched the last episode on Monday. Um, And, you know, I I think, like a lot of people, uh, had uh, been disenchanted with it uh, after the changeover of people. And... After taking a kind of a long break from it and, and then going back and rewatching those last Matt Smith episodes, I don't love them as much as the Amy Pond stuff because I think that every once in a while with Doctor Who, there's kind of a special companion. And I think mm-hmm. Amy is one of those, just like Rose is one of those. You know, uh, Sarah Jane Smith is obviously one of those. Um, and, you know, I don't think that uh, Clara is that. I but I just being. Think- sorry, okay, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, sorry. Go, no, it's okay. I go just ahead, don't something. think she has the chemistry. Like, it's she- not that she's bad, but like. It's she just doesn't resonate with like she didn't work with Matt Smith like she just I don't know it didn't click for me. It, it started clicking for me a little bit a lot more now that I I kind of took the time off and kind of just like I'm just gonna watch this. I kind of went into it with no expectations because I had been the reason I stopped watching it is I hadn't been enjoying what I was watching, uh-huh. so I had stopped watching it and going with no expectations. Um, it quickly you know rekindled with me why I love the show so much. I thought that the the 50th anniversary episode was really kind of fantastic. I loved the David Tennant and Matt Smith stuff together. I thought that stuff was brilliant. I thought John Hurt was really, really yeah. good. Um, you know, even the episodes at which I had heard kind of really bad things about, like the the uh, Cyberman episode, I enjoyed it. You know, I can understand, like, I, I if I had been watching when it came on and I heard Neil Gaiman's writing a Cyberman yeah. episode, I would have been disappointed with it because it wasn't this, like, crazy, no. you know, thing that happened. It was just like a Doctor Who episode. Uh, but I found it to be really entertaining and interesting. Uh, the one with Diana Rigg, I thought was really that was good, really creepy, really creepy kind of classic stuff. There was another ghost, kind of a ghost story one that was, I think it was in the seventies or something, which I thought was really entertaining. And I thought that Matt Smith's finale was good. I thought that uh, it wasn't to like the emotional heights of the end of the Tenant stuff, which was, I mean, I was in tears at the end of the David Tenant uh, stuff. But I really love Matt Smith as the Doctor, and I thought that his ending and his kind of speech at the end was really good. He had a good closing moment. So I kind of really rekindled my love for it. And I've got the two Peter, I bought the two uh, Peter Capaldi ones. So I'm going to be watching those this week. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what it comes into. And I'm excited for him uh, as the doctor. Um, I think if I had watched the Matt Smith stuff straight through when I, when I was doing it, I would have had more trouble with the changeover, but because I was kind of in parts and I already knew he was gone. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as, it wasn't as tough for me. Um I, I don't know. I don't love it so far. Like, the second episode is actually a lot better to me than the first, but I won't spoil, like, obviously, mm. you know. Right. Um, I, the, the second episode of this season is the first episode I've liked Clara in at okay. all. Um, but I've also just heard that she's going to be leaving at the Christmas episode, and I'm kind of like, thank Jeebus. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I hated Martha Jones, and I know that's, like, such a... You either love or hate Martha. It's so up in the air. I don't know anyone that's like, well, she's all right. You either like are like, Martha's the best! Or like, you hate her. And right. I, I'm, I hate her. She annoys the <laughs> shit out of me. Like, everyone's always like, she's so smart. She's so sassy. And I'm like, she just whines like every after, doctor! Like, every episode. <laughs> Anyways, and I hate Clara more than I hate Martha. <laughs> so... <laughs> I do. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that they suffer from the same problem right which is that martha came after rose and clara comes after amy so there's a there's a, there's a big you get so connected to those characters that i think changing them over especially when the doctor stays the same is a really tough 
changeover. There was one um, of these great moments, like in one of the two episodes, where like Peter Capaldi's doctor mumbles under his breath, like he's like, "Oh, I really miss Amy right now." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Neh. "Nobody likes you, Clara. Not even the doctor." Um, I've, I've actually, I actually enjoy her. I think she's got some spunk, but I just don't think that the the I feel yeah. the connections and stuff have been as good. And I feel uh, bad because she, Jenna Louise Coleman, actually, like truthfully, isn't bad. It's how she's written. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it's kind of like she's like the outline of a good character, but without <laughs> any of the filling. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, they did this kind of the same thing. I don't want to talk about Doctor Who too long because this is not Doctor Who podcast. Sorry, but I know. It's fun. <laughs> no, no, yeah. for it. uh, but uh, they they did a very similar thing with her. They did with Amy, right? Which is Amy is sort of supposed to be like this kind of puzzle the Doctor is trying to figure out, like why she was why she was the first person he saw, what the cracks in the walls meant, and stuff like that. And, but I felt like they filled her out much better, like Stephanie was saying, with actual character stuff. Um, and was where I feel like they, they kind of give you, like Stephanie said, kind of the outline of who Clara is, and she has a good story, and, and the idea of her is really good, but you don't really see her doing the stuff that's supposed to make her special. Mm-hmm. It kind of happens like in very quick moments, that they're like, she's like, oh, I was, I was here, I was there, I was doing this, I was doing that, and you don't really get to see it. And she does some cool stuff, and she has, I, I like that she has, an, she has you know, an attitude, and she has, she's strong, I like that stuff about her, but um, I feel like they don't, you know, it's it's... It's as if, like, you know, it's, I, I was, one of my favorite episodes of the Amy Pond stuff was The Girl Who Waited, right? The one where, where she, the, where the doctor comes back and it's been however many years, 30 years, whatever it was, that she's been stuck on this, this planet. And, um, and those moments, like, I feel like they go for those moments with Clara, but I feel like they don't, they don't take the time to establish it or write oh. it or show what she's actually going through, the pain she's going through. They just kind of shorthand it. Yeah, Amy had so many, like, special episodes. Like, if I look back at Doctor Who at, like, my five favorite episodes, probably four of the five are Amy episodes. Mm. You know, like, her moments are so genuine. And, like, you just feel so much emotion when Karen Gillan's on screen as Amy, and you just don't get that with Clara. No, you don't. You don't. Uh, but anyway, I, I I was I enjoyed it very much, and I I enjoyed the comic. I'm gonna check check out the Matt Smith one as well to see how I like that Do one. Do they have a twelfth Doctor too while they're at it? Well, no, because they haven't. He hasn't had any adventures yet. So <laughs> how are you gonna have the lost adventures of <laughs> Peter Vigaldi? Lost, anymore? lost adventures. Yeah, <laughs> all new now, lost adventure. <laughs> but it's cool, you know. I, I I never know how I'm going to keep going with licensed books. You know, I I I often very much like them, but then. I feel like I can just watch Doctor Who, so I, sometimes I feel like a disconnect with the books, mm-hmm. which is weird because I don't feel the other way around. You know, it's not like what I, I'm like I'm not gonna see comic book movies because I can read the comic books. I don't know what that what that thing is for me, but um, I, hopefully I keep I, I want to keep with it, so I'm, I'm gonna well, try. I would think licensed things that are gone mm-hmm. as as I read the Steve and Mrs yeah. Peel books mm-hmm. or the Buffy books yeah. that are apparently pretty good. Yeah, yeah. They're now giving you even the Star Trek one that Burns doing. I get to have episodes of things that I'm never going to get to have. Right, yeah. But something that's already on the air turns into, well, yeah. well there, there it is. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like with Buffy, I know I don't know where it's going to go, the comic book. It can go anywhere. With the David Tennant stuff, I know like eventually he shows he ends up where the series yes. ended with him. So that's the tough part for me. But um, anyway, moving on to, uh, to books of the week. Um, Stephanie, what do you got for us? All right, so... Uh, fair warning, I kind of went through all my mainstream things in my lightning round because I kind of wanted to highlight two things that I picked up at Fanex for this weekend that were just really exceptionally unique. 
Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about is a book called Femme Fatale, a collection of deadly women in myth. Um, mm. And this is by Nikki Stinchcomb um, uh, and her website, littlepaperforest.com. But this is like a little zine. And, you know, in the front of it, it says, um, this is a collection of myths from all over the world featuring seductive yet deadly ladies. Many of these myths have been modified, summarized, and adapted. So I encourage you to investigate them further to get the entirety of the narrative. And she has this really cutesy kind of anime chibi style art. And she tells you about, again, like exactly what it says, deadly women in myth. And like the first one's the Peg Powler. Um, about like uh, the creature in England that grabs the ankles of those who come too close to the water's edge. And she just has these like really cute ways of showing these people getting murdered by these sexy women, (laughs) these sexy women creatures. Um, But, you know, she goes through things like the dear lady and tells you um, sort of a paraphrased version of the myth. And, like, it all ends with how they kill people, basically. Thus, mm. the deadly women from myth. But it's it's just great. Like, nothing's graphic or anything. Like, you know, the dear lady stomps men to death. But there's just, like, a lumberjack in the woods with, like, little X's on his eyes. And his little, like, ghost spirits floating out of his mouth. Oh. <laughs> and she's just <laughs> like, this is the best. <laughs> um, and... It goes through, like, a few other things. Like, there's, like, the disemboweler and the banshee uh, and the stikini. And I don't oh, know. you got to tell us about the stikini. So the stikini, a lot of it's very visual. So a lot of what she's trying to do gets told through the images. And then every kind of, um, about every few panels, she kind of explains in words what's happening. So... There's like a woman walking through the woods and it says, this Takini from Southeast America looks and acts like a human. However, dot, dot, dot. And then the woman's walking through the woods and then all of a sudden she vomits up all of her internal organs. (laughs) And it's like, she has the ability to vomit up intestines in order to transform into a great horned owl. And then you see her like flying through the air. I imagine she's probably wow. saying, ka, ka. Owl girl. Yeah. And then she's like, once transformed, the stikini sneaks into people's homes at night and sucks out their hearts. And then she, the, the, it's flying back the other way with the heart. And then the uh. stikini returns home with its prize and boils it in a large pot to consume. And then the owl's sitting down to dinner with like a plate and a knife and a fork. <laughs> and then she's like, afterwards, it returns to its piles of intestines and reconsumes them. And then it's like eating... <laughs> It's bits, and it's like, om, nom, 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 nom. And then it's like, thus transforming back into human. And then the little girl walks through the woods. But It's a happy ending. I like that. Yeah. You know, nothing's graphic. It's all very cutesy, and it's really interesting from somebody like me who really loves mythology. Um, it's cool to see. Like, I'm, I primarily really love Greek mythology. So it's interesting to kind of explore other um, other things, too. The next one on this page is funny. It's like, the Dames Blanche, and it's like the white ladies of France. They dance by bridges to atta- attract people who walk past. And, you know, this boy's like, oh, hello. And she's like, want to dance with me? And he's like, um, mm, mm. and then she says no. And the girl's like, Aah! and then pushes him off the bridge. <laughs> and now just... you know why most men don't want to dance, see? We're afraid <laughs> yeah. of getting pushed off bridges. <laughs> yeah. 
So if you reject her, she pushes you off a bridge to your death. But, you know, it goes through mermaids and the succubus. Um, there's just all these really cool little myths in here, too. And, I mean, it's all kind of, you know, morbid, I guess, in the sense that they'll end up dead. But I guess you can't really be too morbid if they're kind of fictional anyways. So Right. Now, what is, is what is the form this is in? Is this a trade or a comic or a digitally thing? It's a little zine. So it's okay. um, just like, I, I, I suspect she did it herself, but it's really well done and really beautiful. Um, and she does have them on Etsy because I, I posted my haul, like my fan expo haul, and everybody, I had all these amazing things. I got this like tiny um, group doing various dances, like it's called like Saturday Night Groot, and then there's like <laughs> dance like a instead of it or walk like, like an, an Egyptian, Egyptian, it's walk like a Groot. Uh, <laughs> but I got like it has like twelve different little Groots in the pot doing various dance moves. But I have all these things that I thought people would like love, but everyone was like, "What is that book?" And um, I think even Kelly Sue DeConnick was like, "What is this?" Uh, and it's on Etsy. Her Etsy, but which you can find again through her website, which is mm-hmm. littlepaperforest.com. I took my friend Danny to go to the booth afterwards after I'd posted about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I posted about like your comic. And everyone was like, you know, I had to repost it and tag you in it. She's like, I got so many new followers. She's like, everyone was like asking me for that book because of your post. And I was like, mm-hmm. hmm, well, hi. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> That's the thing I did. She's like, yeah. So it's really, really cool and really fun and sweet in a, again, kind of morbid way. Um, Deadly women from myth. Mm-hmm. I, I even got her little card out, but then I realized that her website was on design and I didn't need it. But um, it's really cute card and it's got like a rainbow on it and it's pretty. <laughs> um, but the other thing I'm going to mention is a comic called The Fourth Planet. And that is by Fred Kennedy, and I am so going to mess up this name. Uh, Miko Miakasek. Sounds right to me. Uh, (laughs) Knowing not the spelling or the the name at all. (laughs) Sounds right. Yeah, he's Polish. Um, It's a Polish name. It's like M-A-C-I-A-S-Z-E-K. And I mentioned earlier... Pardon him? You lost me at Zed. Oh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, so, uh, early in the show, when I was talking about Phoenix, but I mentioned that I did one interview, and this was with Fred Kennedy, who wrote this book. And Fred Kennedy is, um, I worked with him briefly when I interned at a radio station here in Toronto. And he's uh, one of their main DJs uh, there now. And he also uh, is one of the hosts on Teletoon, like cart- Cartoon Network stuff. Um, and he's just a really cool dude. And he writes comics as well. And comics is like his main passion. Um, so I talked to him about this book. And I wasn't going to do any interviews. But he was so passionate about this book. And I looked. He, I, I ran into him randomly. And um, he said, Steph, if you go by the booth, go see like my new book. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to buy anything until like later in the week. But I'll take a look and he's like dude if you take a look like i'm not trying to toot my own horn but you'll look at it and you'll buy it <laughs> and i was like uh well i'll look but like i i'm gonna wait because i don't want to carry stuff around it's like i'm warning you it's like this isn't just like you know 
a play to get your money. He's like, you will buy it. And sure enough, I went to the booth. I looked at the art, like, two pages and was like, how much? Oh. <laughs> um, but they were great. I got a really cool print and everything, too. But, um, you know, the back of this says here, an intergalactic exodus amid an extraterrestrial renaissance. Um, and uh, in the interview, you'll hear, like, Fred talk about what the inspiration was for this. And he said that this kind of, I, I won't spoil too much of what he said, but, you know, this book initially started out as his, like, Battlestar Galactica fan fiction. Uh, and then evolved into something much more and Fred's a great writer but you know the art is absolutely exceptional in this you just see these pages and there's nobody I can really compare it to it it's just in a complete league of its own the color and you know just the layouts are stunning it's like J.H. Williams had a love child with said Ribbick and like i don't even know what else it's beautiful and there's like shortcomings in it but you know you can tell that he he knows what his shortcomings are and he makes up for it with like the way he lays things out and his colors and all that it's it's stunning it's just one of the most beautiful books i've ever seen and again sorry i'm just kind of you know rambling about general things to do with it but it's again starts out with this these people landing on this planet and um you know they're carrying cargo of people that are trying to um you know settle somewhere find a home and again there's like you can you can see little bits of where it's similar to Battlestar in the sense that you know the ships carried passengers that were trying to of people that were trying to colonize a new planet after their planet's wiped out but it goes back and forth between this story about the ship that's landing on a new planet and um some aliens on um another planet or maybe it's the same planet mm, i don't know it's a web comic and this is the first collected volume of it if that makes any sense sure, that, yes that makes perfect sense um, <laughs> But anyways, so, I love that sometimes you say things that are know, completely crazy sense. and just keep going, and then you say something completely normal. And you're, Does that make sense? It's a collected volume of something that was previously published. Anyways, shut up. <laughs> um, but you know, it follows these two kind of like concubines, these alien concubines that are sent to um, comfort this returning. <laughs> guy from the army um that's not i don't know not really concubines it's kind of like more like fancy ones like anara from, from firefly yes. yeah yeah and there's nothing saucy they're just kind of like that's just they're they're on their way to the lord that's what they're fancy ladies the fancy ladies guys fancy um but i i don't know i'm kind of just rambling about this it's a space epic and it's in the same sort of sense that um, Battlestar is sci-fi, but it's more like a drama that just happens to have like a sci-fi setting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is that too. But like you'll hear in the interview, Fred says that it does. He, it, the initial idea came from him wanting to be like more Battlestar, <laughs> um, but you can tell that it progressed into something more, and the idea evolved and kind of took him to a completely unique and beautiful place. And this 
is absolutely stunning. I, I swear to God, like I just fell in love with this book and it leaves you on a cliffhanger that you're just like, Fred, why would you do this to me? I picked up your book of pink butter for it. Why? But um, they do have it online on bigsexycomics.com, and it's updated every Monday. Um, so apparently there will be more for me to check out and for you guys to check out there. Uh, and Fan Expo was the debut of this book, and they're going to be selling it online soon, I believe, also at bigsexycomics.com. Um, but I, I brought Steve over to the booth. Steve was at the show on Saturday and I said, I just need to show you like one comic. And if you don't want to buy it, you don't want to buy it, but I'm pretty sure you're going to want to buy it. And Steve did the same thing as me. He looked at two pages and was like, yep, how much do I owe you? <laughs> um, and it's just absolutely amazing. And, uh, again, I didn't want to do any interviews while I was at this show, but this book, Fred spoke so passionately about it that I couldn't not like I I just wanted to hear more about his process and I wanted to promote this book because I think it's going to be something great and you know it's something that you guys are all going to want to check out and the art is just jaw dropping. Awesome, awesome. So you guys will hear more about that later in the show mm-hmm. when we uh, yeah. when Stephanie talks to Fred. So awesome. Uh, so what were the name of the two books you talked about? So Stephanie? the first one again is. Um, Femme Fatale, a collection of deadly women in myth, and that's by Nikki Stinchcomb uh, at littlepaperforest.com. And the second book is Fourth Planet by Fred Kennedy and Miko Miakasik. Um, and you can find that online at bigsexycomics.com, all one word. Awesome. Always need to hear about new web comics. Yeah. It's getting near the end of the year, and we're going to have to start <laughs> thinking about these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So, Bob, what do you got for us, Books of the Week? Okay. Starting off, Silver Surfer number five, Storytellers, as they're credited here, Dan Slott, Michael and Laura Allred, and Clayton Cowles doing the letters. Behind this really very cool cover with a sound effect, Thoom, as the Silver Surfer bashes the Hulk, a good one. You don't see sound effects on covers much anymore. Used to a lot. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling already, and I just started. <laughs> what we have here is... Doctor Strange and the Hulk arrive in Anchor Bay, Massachusetts to help, well, rid the world and save them from the menace of the ruler of the dream world nightmare is back. So it's very much 70s styled stuff. It's a throwback to the Steve Englehart defenders with some Steve Gerber weirdness because it's dreams within dreams within dreams as we're stuck here because the Hulk and Doctor, well, Doctor Strange recruits the Hulk the way the defenders used to. They were the non-team for people who don't know what the old, old defenders were. Doctor Strange would bring together the Submariner and the Hulk and the Silver Surfer to fight some menace that only they could, their combination of powers could stop. And then they'd all argue and split up at the end of like every issue. I'm not coming back, <laughs> fish man. I'm going to punch you in the face. Well, this is the kind of Hulk you get here. He is, is kind of angry. But Doctor Strange has assembled the team. Their job is basically to help Norrin and Dawn Greenwood wake Nightmare up because if they don't wake him up if he stays asleep when the sun rises all the world will be trapped in the dream world forever which is not something where you really want to be so you get lots of great action here there's some very cool monsters Michael Allred and Laura draw some amazing amazing creatures and as has been the case with this series all along there's lots of humor but there's lots of humanity too we, we revisit with Dawn's dad and her twin sister Eve the one who wanted to go traveling early on Lovely little interplay there. There's 
for a book that when you pick it up and if you just look at it, oh, it's it's like goofy fun. No, there's such a heart to this, and you see it in Dan Slott, Spider Man, certainly. Mm-hmm. But here too, when we saw him at the con, he was saying before they did this book, he didn't have the time to do this. But oh wait, we have Mike Allred do this. <laughs> I'm do- I'm doing it. I don't care. We're gonna find a way to do it, and it shows that this is a labor of love here. Uh, we're only in five issues. I guess it'll be a trade for people who have passed by this till now, and that could be a nice way to catch up. It's just been a heck of a lot of fun. Anybody still hanging in with the surfer? Um, I'm buying it every month. I just have I'm like two issues behind okay. on it. So I mean, from what I read, I, I I've been loving it. Um, yeah. I just I've been trying to read things more in lumps, so I've been stocking up on stuff before okay. I, before I dive in. Well, this is sort of the, the, yeah. this one it picks up on some threads from the last issue, but isn't really connected mm-hmm. to that. But I don't know how long they'll continue to do this, but I hope this team stays on this book forever. It's just that much fun. It doesn't seem like Dan Slott really does short runs on things. No. Unless they get canceled. Yeah. Yeah. Book selling well, not Mm -hmm. great. Maybe they have to put him in the Guardians or something. Yeah. (laughs) Or or maybe it's people still remember him from that other movie. Right. Anyway, now we've got a double feature. Whatever this is worth, I'm cheating. (laughs) Um, I know people will be shocked when I say I actually enjoyed the new Fantastic Four number nine. Wow. I am shocked. Yes. And I will also speak about the original Fantastic Four number nine while we're at it, because, well, there are things involved here. There, there's connective tissue between them, only in that some of the events that are taking place in this first nine issues of James Robinson's were reflected back over there. Bobby's looking at the cover. It's the end of the Fantastic Four. They're evicted from their own building, <laughs> which is not a good thing when you're superheroes. Anyway, in, in this one, I think you're beginning the start of the tonal shift into where it's not the end of the Fantastic Four and all this darkness. There's some really neat moments with Reed's got a new job with some giant think tank, a fellow named John Eden, going to make humanity better, which Reed's been part of here and there on his own. I think, of course, this Eden fellow is probably a bad guy and something awful. He's probably a doombot or something. Something weird will happen. Some nice moments with Sue and Johnny, some very touching stuff. We get Ben who's in prison because he apparently, I won't say anything. People may be <laughs> catching up. I think he'll have the longest road back because according to the solicits, out four months, he's still trying to get out of jail. But we meet some of the other characters. There's a nice little surprise ending. There's a great moment here with Jim Hammond, who's in charge of the Future Foundation kids. He has a nice exchange with Maria Hill that is really kind of, okay, this is the James Robbins who wrote golden age who was writing those dc books writing you know earth 2 what he's doing in invaders it's showing up here is it the decompressed storytelling for the trade that has pulled it into this dark place for so long but it's starting to be the family again and hopefully we'll move forward in that this is this was good i'm you're shocked i'm shocked the whole world is shocked and i did enjoy this i may hate issue 10 (laughs) but i liked issue 9 Now, speaking of issue nine, in the original issue from December 1962, this is an act, my actual copy. I did have to replace mine. It was a disaster. But there, there is a FF9 here that's 50 years old. But I do have the regular one. <gasps> Evident in the trade uh, archives, whatever you call it. I spent this. Uh, we open with the Submariner because he, he, you know, he's real fancy and has all the money from under the sea. He's watching television in his undersea palace hmm. and sees the Fantastic Four having money troubles because Reed... All that patent money, all these things he patents and makes money on, he gambled it in the stock market and lost everything. 
So people want the electrician shows up. He wants money for the work he did on the fantastic car. <laughs> they have to sell off the pogo plane. They have to sell off all this junk. They have to sell the bill. He apparently owns the Baxter building at that point, has to sell it for, to keep everything going. Ben isn't thrilled when their equipment's being sold off, storms off. They were still sort of fighting with each other at this point. There was not, not all unicorns and puppies and kittens and whatever <laughs> at this point. You know, Ben was still pretty angry about things, especially angry when he goes outside and can't get a cab. Well, you know. I know you can't. When you're a giant rock monster, right, it's right, tough. Yeah. Well, so, well, then he, he'll know he'll never get another one. He takes the cab and puts it on top of a light pole. <laughs> but what he wants to do, he goes to Alicia's house, who we only met the issue before. And there's a moment between them where she's made him a, a little statue of a like a, a white knight or something. Oh, yeah, that's just what I need, a doll. Yeah, great. And she tells him, no, you're my white knight. I understand. No matter what you think of yourself, you're that person for me. You saved me and for everybody else. It's this moment that informs everything that would come in this book for the next 40 years. They get an offer. Ben storms back to the Baxter Bond. They get an offer to make a movie. And Reed is, okay, well, look, that'll solve our problems. The money's going to be there. They get out to Hollywood, meet a few celebrities here and there. They have to hitchhike to get there. They have no money to fly, so they actually hitchhike. It's pretty funny watching them stand there. Ben hides in the bushes, needless <laughs> to say. Doesn't want to wreck anybody else's car. They get to the studio. It's owned by the Submariner. And Reed is, well, look, we need this money. Does it matter who we really work for? Sure, let's let's do this. We'll make a movie with this Submariner. Now, the, Namor had appeared in four, six, and now nine. He's in three of these issues early. See, he has, a, he has an agenda. So for, he, sets, he separates each of the guys into something. So he has Reed on an island fighting a Cyclops that he thinks is a robot. No, it's the real Cyclops. He nearly takes him out. Johnny's in Africa somewhere with natives who can't be stopped by his flame, and he's captured. He saves Ben from himself, and they have a huge knockdown drag, a really great fight. What Namer's plan is, is he's going to separate the team, knock off the guys, and take Sue away because he's in love with Sue Storm. She strikes back. No, that's not going to happen. She, they go at it a little bit. I'll leave it at that. People should read this. This has been reprinted. I'm sure it's on the Unlimited app. Mm -hmm. but that, I, we set it up for there, and you, you go, because he'll, the Samaritan will be back in 14. <laughs> but what you have here, this is, some, each of the other issues had some other oddball things that hadn't been in comic books before. 1962 is a very staid sort of place. Stanley and Jack Kirby here, and we also have colors by Stan Goldberg and letters by Artie Simic, full credits, <laughs> all the way back in 62. Thank you, Stan. Makes life easier. It's a different kind of comic book storytelling. Superheroes didn't go broke, didn't lose their headquarters, didn't fight with each other, didn't reconcile with their villains to make money, didn't do these things, didn't have these moments until they were here. Their confidence was building as we got to this and we just continued to spiral out of control. It's a different read for those who are used to the way things are now. Lots of words, you know, very grid-oriented. Kirby's work is still... Hasn't busted out the way he will about two years later. But if you want to see where Marvel, you told him before about how their entire universe mm -hmm. is, is one guy's idea. It, mm -hmm. It's these two fellas doing this. I, you know, when I go, ever go back and reread these things, I'm always thrilled to see human frailties in characters when you didn't see them before. You know, heroes with weaknesses, flaws, and not 
that they couldn't stand yellow flowers or mm. that if they stayed out of the water for 60 minutes, they'd faint or whatever. Mm. No, it was, no, their weakness is because they're greedy and obnoxious and jealous of each other and all these other things. We take a lot for granted 50 years later. It's there. It's right. all right there. So Absolutely. that's it for me. Two Fantastic Four number nines in one shot. Is that cheating too badly? It was It was cheating, but I'll, we'll allow it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> this one time, Bob. Okay. We'll, we'll allow it. Hawk talks like 100% more about any books. Like, you know, we talk about like four, maybe max, and Bob manages between like his lightning round books of the week to get like 60. Yeah. 1,000% <laughs> more comics from Bob. <laughs> All right, thank you. I try. I try. There's a lot in the back room I got to get to. I do think it's funny that a that because they're out of money, the Fantastic Four is not going to exist anymore, and b that the Submariner goes to the extent of becoming a movie executive to try to thwart the Fantastic yeah. Four. I think it's very funny. <laughs> he's got a nice office too. I bet. I bet. <laughs> well, he's got all that you know that shipwreck money. Well, it's funny. Years later, there was a. Uh, it lasted about three, four years, I guess. It was a Namor mini. Uh, started as a mini, went to a regular series. John Byrne wrote it, and Jay Lee did mm, the yeah, art. Yeah, right. And Namor was a businessman. Mm-hmm. And he's basically the same office and standing around in a real sharp suit. And <laughs> now he's a really bad man again. Right, yeah. He's a, he's sort of a villain again. Um, all right. So we'll go on to my books of the week. Uh, my first one is uh, Wayward, number one, from Image Comics. It's Jim Zub. Uh, writing and Jim Cummings on the art. And um, the basis of, of Wayward is that uh, there's a girl and she is, uh, her mother is Japanese, her father is Irish. Uh, she's lived in Ireland um, for most of her life, but she's gone to live with her mother in Japan. And weird stuff starts happening. It's basically, <laughs> it's basically like the the easy way to put the, the, the status of the book. Um, what the book does do is it, it it seems to be heavily steeped in uh, Japanese folklore and myths and legends uh, because this girl shows up and she's, you know, there, there is kind of the standard conversations with her mother about getting acclimated and, you know, her place there. And then um, she kind of goes out exploring and she gets kind of all of a sudden she's being followed by all of these cats, like what seems like Ooh. 30 cats or something. And I'm <laughs> very excited. And she just, she's buying it right now as yeah. we speak. And then she gets, um, basically there's some, you know, not so savory folks hanging out in an alley and they try to attack her and she gets helped out by this other girl who seemingly comes out of nowhere. And then it seems like she might have some sort of superpowers herself, the, our, our main character. Mm. And the, 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 what I found most interesting about the issue is that I feel like, and I think we talked about this before, as someone who grew up kind of um, in the kind of the Nintendo generation, Japanese culture is very um, is very alluring to me in a lot of ways. You know, it was a lot of the games I played, a lot of the things I consumed when I was younger came from Japan, and I really had no context for what they were or where they came from, and so it always seemed like this kind of crazy mythical place to me, where these stories that were just bizarre and crazy would mm-hmm. come out of. And, you know, over the years, it, it, it obviously has been demystified in a lot of ways. But in, in still some ways, when I watch, you know, Japanese films, especially any films of any horror films or any films that have to do with kind of more of supernatural elements, I always feel like there's something I'm missing watching them because they're, they're, they're pulling from cultural touchstones 
that are that we don't know right and the thousands of years old to go with it exactly they built layers into them yeah yeah so there is a shorthand they're working with there that it, we do the same thing here we just take it for granted and what this book seems to be doing what jim's up seems to be doing is kind of bringing those little niches into into reality so you know she runs into these kind of these like cro- crocodile men lizard men things and uh at the back of the book they have some supplemental material that's like this is what those things are oh. and this is what how what it is in japanese culture and that part to me is kind of fascinating because i, I i've always wanted to know more about that stuff and you know i'm an adult i could obviously go and read a book about it if i yeah. wanted to but i'm also you know sort of lazy so i would i don't i don't want to read history books so I, I i don't really dig into that stuff but having a comic form is kind of cool and to kind of get those ideas and, and see where some of those things come from i think would be a cool read um i think the book has is great on atmosphere and great on sense of place um and potential plot details but it is a little bit light on character so i think that the main character other than those broad stroke things i mentioned isn't really very well defined uh and her the some of the conversations she has and the interactions she has with her mother and some of the people they seem a little bit um uh rote to me you know a little bit well worn a little bit on the nose so that's of how i did not really connect with very much uh, so that's one of the reasons why I'm a little bit iffy on the book. I will say this, the art by Jim Cummings is really, really beautiful. Uh, it, it's got this really kind of great mix between Japanese influenced manga style and more of a Western style. I, I think that's on purpose cause that's kind of what the character is mm-hmm. from. So there's, you can see the manga inspired aspects to it and character designs, some of the, 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 like the eye shapes and, and some of the movement and some of the way the action is illustrated, but it's not, it, it's definitely got Western influences as well. Uh, it, it's got a beautiful color palette. It, it's got this. It's just got a very nice kind of glossy look to it, and I, I, I thought it was really, really fantastic. When after reading the book, that's next to the, the cultural aspects of it. That was the thing I walked away with more. Most of it was uh, the way it looked. Uh, again, I, I'm not sold completely on the writing. It, it, it you know, it, if I wasn't getting review copies of it, I might not be picking it up uh, month to month. So I, I'm going to try the second issue and, and see what I think of it. See if it improves. See if the story. Gets, gets cooking it's a like a, and just to sum it up it's a book that's really really great on atmosphere and, and and context but and art but not so great i think on character right mm. now yeah but you will give it another try so there's enough something there i was so that- interested in that other stuff that i want to keep reading yeah. it um i don't know if it's enough to keep me going on a story but i was so interested in that stuff and enamored by the art enough where i'm willing to give it another try to see if it can uh it can raise up my estimation mm-hmm. as we go along. Um, hey, did you ever see the movie Kwai Don? I have not, no. A very famous old Japanese sort of anthology horror film. Okay. Ghosts and demons and um, subtitles. <laughs> I don't mind subtitles. Okay. Not at all. Uh, not that this is... this this is um, Sub, The book's not subtitled. No, no, no. Well, I guess it is. <laughs> I mean, there's no audio. But you... Uh, what am I going to say? Um... Oh, not that this is this is illustrative of Japanese culture as a whole, but I remember watching you know that movie House or Hausa, yeah, whatever, yeah. however you, you say it. I saw it at, like um, what, this all night horror movie festival they have mm-hmm. in in this town near where we live, and um, that uh, that came on. It was like the third movie that came on. It was like four o'clock in the morning. It's just insane. It's so insane. Yeah. But and I know it's probably insane to even to Japanese people, but I'm sure it's pulling on folklore and stuff that i don't know about so this is why stuff like this is so interesting to me that movie was also written by the eight-year-old daughter of the director oh really i did not know yeah. that so that made, made that make sense yeah. maybe i'm looking for meaning that isn't there 
Um, the other book I read uh, for my book of the week, and this is actually this is actually out today. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, um, I and it's a valiant book. It's called uh, Death Defying Doctor Mirage, and it's a uh, a mini series. It's this is one of five. Uh, it's written by Jen Van Meter, uh, art by Roberto De La Torre, and colors by Travel Travel Foreman. Actually, um, so who Doctor Mirage is is a an empath kind of a, a someone who can a medium someone who can talk to the dead uh, she can talk to any deceased person except for her deceased husband so that's kind of her you know her character struggle her flaw her her her, her you know fatal flaw uh, yeah. as we because she's always chasing trying to find a way to communicate w- with her husband who, who's passed away um when we're introduced to her she is Basically, a friend of hers, and a, a, you know, uh, seems like a friend, maybe a, a a colleague, whatever, is trying to get her out, get her, and sends her to kind of the support group of people who have lost people. And it starts out with you know, illustrate her power. She is you know telling these people about you know the loved ones that have passed and that they're still with them, and telling them these stories and stuff like that, and making them feel better. And uh, so that's how we open up, and we get we we. It's it's smart, and the writing by Van Meter is very good here because it gives us uh, an idea of who she is. It gives us her power set. It gives us she's a little bit um, testy, a little bit um, you know of a hard ass, a little bit severe with people. She's not necessarily super kind to people she's helping mm-hmm. out, but she will, she helps them anyway. So you get that sense that she's willing to do the right thing, but not necessarily with a with you know with a smile on her face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is hired by this eccentric rich person to help him out with something him and a bunch of friends were kind of you know uh they basically were charged with um taking out uh nazi occultists you know try to find what they what they knew and try to get it before the russians got it after world war ii was over and something happened to him. He got caught up in something bad and there's some sort of, you know, curse on him or, or hex on him or some sort of entity attached to him that he wants to get taken off. And when she discovers what it is, she also discovers it might have a connection to what happened to her husband. Oh. So she decides to pursue it, even though it seems very shady and, and potentially very dangerous to her. Uh, what was most interesting in the book about the meat to me though, was the fact that although it's a, a book from a publisher that is known for its connected universe and its superhero universe that that's creating. It feels much more like an independent sort of ghosted or outcast or five ghosts type of story. Uh, and I, I found it to be, you know, really engaging and really interesting. The writing by Jen, Den, Jen Van Meter is really great. I, I feel like it nails the character exceedingly well. It sets up an interesting story. It sets up a world that I, I find enthralling uh, and the art as well is really really nice. You know, it's it's got it's it's grungy and it's got that um, it's got that. Uh, I, I don't know, what it, but sometimes it's a little confusing because there's there's some moments at the beginning where she's talking to this support group and there's also kind of sort of see the ghosts of the people who have passed and it's a really nice image, but you really haven't seen her clearly yet, so it's kind of confusing as to who she is in the group you get it but you know like i always say if you if there's a minute of time where you're confused about what's going on then there's kind of something wrong Wrong. with it unless they're doing that on purpose to try to mess with your head but this didn't seem like that kind of scene so that was the only issue though once the book got going though i thought the art really really worked for the story and being that it's a mini series i'm extra interested in can you check it out uh really well designed 
could end up being something really, really great. It definitely has the, the beginnings of that. How many issues is this plan? Five. Okay. Five. Uh, which, and it's the death-defying Dr. Mirage from Valiant Comics. And the first book I talked about was Wayward, number one, oh. from Jim Zub and Jim Cummings. Dr. Mirage sounds interesting. I haven't bought any Valiant. Now, that this doesn't connect to their other universe. Maybe I'm not buying a Valiant, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a, a storyline that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it is. And that's the thing. Like I, I, I've, I've read a little Valiant here and there. And I found some of it, some of it good, some of it not so great that I, that I've, but nothing that's really kind of pulled me in. There's been moments where I thought I was going to get pulled in. You know, Quantum and Woody was something that I thought was really good, but it just I just didn't keep up with it. Some of the other series as well. I read the first trade of um, uh, Exo Man of War and enjoyed it, but there was just no, it didn't feel I didn't feel a pull to keep going. This I, I feel more of a pull to to keep going. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out and definitely I think it it's going to be something that. I'm gonna probably want to get um, in trade, you know, once it's all out, uh, because it, it it's got the feeling of something that's gonna be a really nice, yeah. you know, condensed story. So yeah, it was it was really really good. I was really happy that I checked out. That's actually on the shelves uh, right now. So if you guys are into your stores and you're just in that kind of story, a really good ghost story, it's there for you guys to check out. So check that out. All right. So I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you guys want to take a break. I'd like to power through and do some questions if we're if we're if we're still feeling it. Yeah, Steph. We can do it. You you want to mm-hmm. do it, Steph? I know you have to you have to get out early in the morning, so I want to I want to get through this stuff for you. I just want to get water. That's all. Okay, so you, let's you want to take a little break? Just like a couple tomorrow? minutes, yeah. Okay, so we'll oh, take, okay. So we will take a little break, and we'll be right back with some listener questions and Stephanie's interview. Yeah. We're back, and we have some listener questions to go through here, and then we're going to hear an interview that Stephanie did. Um, all right, so here we go. This is from at uh, Jinjo on uh, on Twitter, and he says, "How do you introduce non-comic book readers to comics, or those who used to read them as kids? Can be intimidating for them." Uh, Bob. Well, one thing you can do with so many great creator-owned and independent books, someone who's not into comics at all can be brought in with horror, fantasy, science fiction. There are these things that are, are the, the art form, panels and art and word balloons, but now we're not the typical stories. We were just mentioned before, Afterlife with Archie, for goodness sakes. Here's mm-hmm. a character that you might have known from before, told in a really different way. For those who are lapsed, there are Great things happening with characters from the past. You know, Scott Snyder's Batman, certainly right now. Lots of stuff going on with the Avengers or Captain America and changes in, in these characters that there are ways, oh, there's some new take you might be able to try. So I'd go that way, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you said, I think bringing them creator-owned or, you know, creator-driven, um, more contained series, I think is a great idea. Um, obviously, we, we've mentioned Lock and Key before, um, you know, I think Fables is also a really, really good one. Even though there's a ton of it, it's something that people can. Obviously, it's an incredibly popular thing right now, um, and also it, it's characters that people recognize. And you can say it's just this. It is not involved with like the the superhero stuff. It's not you know, but it is this really great 
huge story that you can dig into for a long mm-hmm. time. I think those are series that you can use to get people invested in the comic book medium, mm-hmm. and it's not as intimidating for them. I can't tell you like how many times like at shows, I have people. I mean, come up to Bill and say, "This is like I I didn't read comics. I was intimidated by comics, but Fables is like the comic I read and got into it, and they got me back into it. Like, it it's." A gateway drug. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you know, Saga is really good for that too. Mm-hmm. All the all the books you can you can really think of uh, that are outside the DC um, Marvel realm because you know there's a difference too. You have to judge it by the person too. It's not just a it's not just a uniform thing. If you have someone who you loves storytelling and you think would be into the kind of stories that you like in comics then you can introduce them to those stories. If they love superheroes and want to get into superhero comics but don't know where to start, then you can point them kind of in the right direction. But I tend to find that trying to get people superhero comics who don't read comics, it can be tough sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because superhero comics are very much built to be to be read over you know a, a long period of time. Often the issues do not have a ton that happened in them. And while when you're reading them month to month to month for years, that isn't really a problem because you're kind of more engaged in the larger story. If you give a comic book to somebody and they spend, you know, their time reading it and they don't feel like anything happened or they feel like there's all these references to all these characters, even if they aren't really needed to know, they're going to feel like they need to know them mm-hmm. and they're going to be intimidated and out of wash with it. Uh, so I think starting with that more creator stuff is, or, you know, even you give them even... Um, more contained, you know, superhero graphic novel stuff. I think they can get into that mm-hmm. stuff too. If you can, you can hand them, you know, Batman Year One or something like that. That's something that they can read and, and not have to worry about other stuff. They can just enjoy for what it is. Um, and, and and so that that's I think a, a good place to start. But yeah, I mean, I I think just giving people stuff that you think that fit their interests, I think, is really what you start out with. And then if they love it, they'll seek stuff out on on their own. Right. Um, good question. I think. Sorry. Go oh wait. Go ahead, Stephanie. Um, I think it's important to also, yeah, like what you said, like close to your interests. But books, I mean, movies and comics have a very similar sort of layout in the sense that they're uh, visually telling a story. Uh, but you know, you wouldn't just say, "Here, I love this. Read this." Right. You might say that if you know what that person's tastes are already, but ask them what kind of movies they like. Absolutely. You wouldn't recommend. Um, like the descent to somebody who hates horror mm-hmm. and you know like it, it's just common sense like just don't shove miscellaneous things at people make sure that you're doing things uh, that you know relate in some way like for instance that comic I read a few weeks ago and I talked about called Naja by J.D. Morvan and Bengal and I mentioned that it's like Kill Bill. So, you know, if somebody like really, really, really loves the Kill Bill story, you might put that in their hands. Be like, oh, my God, if you love this, I really think that you might dig this comic. Like, check this out. There's correlations between movies and comics. And, you know, it, it's a daunting medium sometimes, but it doesn't have to be. I think another really great way to uh, get new readers comfortable with it is if they have access to digital um, show them some comics via guided view mm-hmm. um, in Comixology. Let them use the technology that Comixology has built into it to show them how comics are meant to be read. And once they're used to that, they can either continue reading digitally or move on to other formats. But, you know, when I started reading comics forever ago, you know, like it, 
it's weird because you're like, what's supposed to be read first? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a handy dandy guide in the front of each book. Um, it, it's pretty straightforward once you get used to it, but sometimes panels are all over the place and you just don't know where to look and what to read first. And a guided view can be really, really helpful. Yeah, I mean, that's how when we first started doing this, I was reading something on my iPad and I used it every single time I read a book. I, re- I used guided view. Because I didn't want to be confused about which order mm-hmm. I should be reading things in. And it really, really did help me get into the flow of everything. I mean, there's still times now when I read books and I'm like, I, I, oh, I read that panel in the wrong order. You know, yeah. and I have to go mm-hmm. back and reread stuff. Uh, so I, can, I can't even imagine what it's like for people who are just starting out reading it. Um, mm-hmm. But very, very good question. That's a great question. Um, this is a... Uh, Let's see here. We've got, um, this is at part-time powers. James Hammond says you are thrown into the world of the last comic you read. How doomed are you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Huh? Yeah. Well, the last book it? I just read was that doctor who book. So I would, I, I think I would have be having a grand adventure. So I don't think I'd be as doomed. <laughs> M- most likely. Mm. I mean, usually though, I'd be pretty dead. <laughs> Last, huh. last, go ahead, Steph. If you're if you're ready. Mine was the like I just finished reading the Fourth Planet today, mm. um, but it could have been. I mean, it was I, I was gonna read that uh, Femme Fatale book, so I mean, I would have really been doomed unless I was one of the Femme Fatales. But that's not the case at all. But <laughs> I don't know. I would have been super duper doomed. But I don't know, like space world aliens, maybe. Maybe doomed. It's not like it's a Westeros or anything, so. Yeah, that would be no. difficult. You might as well just yeah. jump off a cliff. <laughs> Westeros. <laughs> Goodbye. This will be less grisly than the death I would eventually have. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be doomed. The last book I read is a Metal Men collection. So. Okay. <laughs> it's happy and fun robots with Kevin so McGuire and like Keith Given. All of our yeah. books are pretty tame. Yes, pretty tame. Um. So what we got here? Uh, that could have been a really good question if we'd all read like, I don't even know. Yeah, the Life with Archie number six. Yeah. 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 That'd be really trippy. Or the last thing you read was uh, The Empty Man, Stephanie, which I know you almost talked about. Today. Yes. Oh my God. I don't want to be in that world at <laughs> no, all. It's very scary. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very scary world. That would be a doomed world. Um, this is from uh, Carol Cross on Twitter. To ask, is there any comic series that has never let you down? Uh, never late, always written and drawn, stellar. Bob. Never. Wow. Yeah. At some level, I'd say She-Hulk. Okay. Because whether it was the original Savage one with John Buscema, certainly Burns, Dan Slots in between Peter David's, and now the new one, across the board, I've always had a good time no matter what was going on. So as much as I'd love to say Captain America or Fantastic Four or something, no, there have been moments where they haven't. Mm. But yeah, She-Hulk. All right. Um, I mean, for me, it's probably it's tough because I've been doing it that long. So uh, it's easy to say with the kind of more contained stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So like Lock and Key is definitely that for me. I, I did not read it when it was coming out, so I'm sure it was late at some point. You know? Yeah. But um, for me, it, yeah, the last like Omega, you knew that one. Though. Well, yeah, I knew it, but I wasn't I wasn't reading it issue to issue at that point. I was still kind of catching up, going through the trades at that point but that last issue was like six months delayed it was so long uh, but it never let me down so yeah. that, and uh, I probably the, the Snyder Batman stuff hasn't ever let me down either I've never really been let down there's been issues I haven't liked more than others but I compared to other stuff out there it's never never let me down what about you mm-hmm. Stephanie anything 
Um, it would have been the wake if not for that final issue. Um, but I think that's the closest thing I can currently think of off the top of my head. American Vampire. That's pretty fantastic. All right. Um, nice. question Either way, Karen. Scott Snyder stuff. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. At the Sleep Drifter wants to know, what's the meaning to life? 42. 42. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The, the question to that is, what is six times nine? That's the other you said the answer already. <laughs> yeah, but the, the question is, what is six times nine? Oh, uh, okay. In one of the other books. Oh, the, okay. The, they have primitive Scrabble tiles, and he spells out, or Arthur Dent spells out. Uh, well, the question to that answer to everything, life, the universe, and everything is, mm-hmm. what is six times nine? Which is apparently 42 in base seven math or something. <laughs> because he was Douglas Adams. <laughs> anyway, that was very nice, Stephanie. We did that in stereo. Yeah. <laughs> High five. Yeah, it was very good. Skype. Very, very good. Uh, let me go, I'm go over to our, our Facebook page here. Um, let's see. Here we go. Um, hmm. Sa- this is from Sammy Cassell, and it's going a little bit off of um, comics, but a little bit more just like pop culture. Favorite underappreciated genre TV shows? Hmm. The, the first one that always comes to my head and all sort of is... Uh, the Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Okay, you stole that one, but I'll t- I'll uh, go with I'm that. That was it. great. That was that was a great show. I'm just starting to rewatch it. Just started again. Yeah, I absolutely loved that show. I thought that it hit all of the um, the Terminator points really, really well, and also expanded it and did great stuff on its own. I mean, obviously, Lena Headey is is fantastic yeah. in it, and um, really captures, I think, that Sarah Connor essence that I really wasn't sure if anyone could do other than Linda Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And she does it yeah. wonderfully. Without doing an imitation either. Oh, yeah, no. It's so important. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because it's, it's all of the stuff that makes her... She does basically all the stuff in a lot of ways that makes her so unlikable in Game of Thrones mm-hmm. just kind of turned on its head, like the exact opposite yeah. for, you know, Sarah Connor, which she's a very protective, you know, will do anything for her children uh, type of mom. Uh, but I, I just love it. And it, all, all the, like the sci-fi ideas they threw out in that were really wonderful yeah. too. And um, it's sad that the way it ended because it didn't really get an ending. It just, it ends and it's really the beginning of a new story. Yeah. Which we'll never get to we'll see. Which we'll never, ever, ever get to see. Uh, no. Stephanie, do you think of anything? Uh, Fringe. That's, uh, come on. That ran for like, what, like six years? <laughs> yeah, but it almost got canceled. It only ran like four years, didn't it? It was only four seasons. Was it only four seasons? Mm-hmm. Four or five. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It almost got canceled. And then, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't, like, I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, if you watch Fringe, blah, 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 And people, so many people say no. Yeah. Okay, so Fringe, anything for you, Bob? Yeah, it's called Dark Skies. It was on in the oh, 90s. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's an alternate history where... The Roswell incident is real, and there are real aliens, and there's uh, J.T. Walsh runs Majestic 12, government agency running around trying to keep the lid on everything. A young fella ends up joining the CIA, gets recruited into that, and we hit lots of historical beats moving forward. You see the Beatles mm-hmm. on Sullivan. The Kennedy assassination gets tied in. Robert Kennedy's a character in this, and Kennedy's assassinated because of the alien conspiracy, whatever. And they had planned a second season that never happened. There were things that could go inside bodies and and 
control them, overcome their will, and so on, so on, so forth. So real sloppy, nasty, monstery things, mm-hmm. too. But real good use of the sci-fi realm as well as the sort of real real history and real UFO history for those who believe in all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's J.T. Walsh, who's just, right, yeah. just always awesome. Their second season, on the DVDs, there's actually a clip for what would have been the start of the next season. One of these alien, creepy, crawly things gets into a guy in San Francisco during it's the Haight-Ashbury hippies and whatever, mm-hmm. and that guy's Charles Manson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, really neat thing. It, it, again, it's on DVD. It came out about two years ago, and it's, it's, I'm sure it's like $12 on second seller. So into UFOs and weird old history stuff, Dark Skies is pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Not as cool as Terminator, but okay. Pretty cool. <laughs> Sorry about it. I didn't mean That's to steal. Okay. No, it's a, I love that show. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, uh, this is uh, from Brandon on, on Facebook. He wants to know, if Marvel Studios brought She-Hulk to their cinematic universe, who would you cast and how would you bring her in? <laughs> well, the Hulk's part of it, so you mm-hmm. could certainly do Jennifer Walters. I saw on Conan O'Brien about a year ago Angie Harmon talking about it, mm-hmm. where she was really into the character. I, I'd want her, look, she's got to be a lawyer and had to have had a practice. She can't be a 22-year-old mm-hmm. bombshell. Mm-hmm. I, I'd go with Angie Harmon. I wouldn't <laughs> mind it. Look, they, they wanted Bridget Nielsen all these years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> they actually, there are, fo- there are footage leaked of her in this hideous outfit. I mean, I'm sure you could go with some wrestler woman or some huge Yeah, but they don't need to do that because they're going to mocap her anyway. Right. And, 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 so give me Mark, an actress. If Mark Ruffalo can be the Hulk and exactly Josh Brolin right. can be Thanos, then yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. I want someone who can play Jennifer Walters. Too. Right, yeah. Well, that's what you want. Yeah. I mean, that's what's going to be mostly, right? Yeah. I mean, though it depends on how they would do it, right? Because uh, they would there would need to be some ex- legwork done with the whole pseudoscience aspect of it, right? Because you need to... You know, have the she can still be intelligent and mm-hmm. and a lawyer when she is the She Hulk, unlike you know the Hulk who is like a raging monster because they've never done smart Hulk. No, in well, the that's why movie. maybe you could introduce her in the third Hulk movie mm-hmm. and just tell that's the story. He's hiding out, which is what happened when she was created. She's on a big murder case, big mafia murder case, whatever, gets wounded in a drive-by shooting. They're still out there shooting at the house. She's dying. She's Bruce's cousin, gives her a transfusion. So she's not blasted in gamma rays. She's got a little bit of gamma blood in her, so maybe that's enough not to make her dopey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think you need somebody with a great voice more than anything else because that's what mostly it's going to be. What do you think, Stephanie? Um, I don't know. That's really tricky. Um, uh, who would be a good She-Hulk? Lena Headey. <laughs> Lena Headey, if she was younger, I think. I don't know. I, yeah, she doesn't I mean she isn't. Uh, but I mean, I think, like I said, it's mostly going to be a vocal performance. I, I'd probably say. I, I doubt you're gonna, you'd see much Jennifer Walters if they did after she becomes She-Hulk. If Elijah Dusku is a better actress. <laughs> I mean, I like she Elijah Dusku, but... That, oh! it, whoa, are you okay? God damn it. <laughs> Everybody, Stephanie is, had an accident. <laughs> the cat just stole my headphones and ran off. And then <laughs> she was like, she pulled me with the headphones. Like, she grabbed the cord. Oh, oh. 
monster. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. That's right. It sounds like you fell down a hill. Ooh, it's the cat. Um, Pesky little thing. Rosario Dawson. Yeah. Mm, I like Rosario Dawson. That's a good one. All right. Good. Another, <laughs> another good question. Um, all right. So we have a, we kind of have two questions here about the, the flash television show. Uh, one is just, this is from uh, V Ken Marion. He says, you guys excited for the flash show. He can't wait. Um, I am extremely, extremely excited. Uh, everything I've seen so far looks awesome. Yep. Uh, the, 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 I loved that Grant Gustav on, um, on arrow when he did a couple episodes as Barry, it seems like they're really going for the flash here, doing the villains, doing the tone, doing all that stuff. Um, the effects so far, I mean, we've only seen very little, but they look very good. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm incredibly excited yeah. about it. Yeah. And John Wesley Shipp. Oh, John Wesley Shipp as his, as his father. Right. So, so if you're going to do shout outs, they understand. Yeah. I, I mean, I believe John said it's going to be the most like the comic book thing they've ever done. That's what he said so far. Like way different tone than Arrow and stuff. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? I think it, I mean, Arrow really, really picked up in the second season and got to be more like the comics. And I think that they learned that they could do, you know, a comic book TV show and people would watch it. So for me, it feels like what um, the second season of Arrow uh, is but starting right off the bat mm-hmm. oh. so um i think that's really positive you know on the outside looking in and the people who've seen the pilot have been saying really great things about it and it makes me really excited to check it out awesome awesome and uh we had uh, another this is from john burkle and he says if the rumors uh so so he goes um so about the flash tv show it says uh, do you think the general public can handle the idea of all the dc film and tv shows uh being a multiverse Apparently there's like a crazy rumor that's saying like, even though they don't exist in the same universe, that there's some sort of like multiverse and that the TV world and the movie world are two different aspects of it. And there could possibly be some sort of crossover at some point. I'm sure Grant yeah. Morrison believes that. <laughs> so I'll say, yeah, why not? <laughs> I think people can handle anything. I mean, I think yeah. it be, you get explain people, but I, I don't think it's true. I think that, um, I think that it's just, they're not thinking that way at all. I think it's just a separate thing and they want to be able to do their movie thing and do their TV thing, which is a good thing because that this way they're not being, they're not restricting the TV side of things, which mm-hmm. can do things much more quickly, you know, and, and decide to add characters whenever they want. Um, and, and the movie thing moves obviously much more slowly. You know, we're talking, you know, it's three years to make one movie. By then you already have over 70 episodes of a television show. Oh. So flesh could be canceled by <laughs> exactly. So I think that you you get a lot more leeway to go there. Okay, what now? If this is true, mm. let's go crazy. <laughs> so it's the TV movie multiverse. Yeah, does it include you know George Reeves and Adam <laughs> West, and can we bring them in for guest appearances? <laughs> let's go for it. We'll, you know, we'll motion capture them or we'll digitize them from the old episodes and throw them in there. That does seem like something that Graham Morrison would love. Yeah. And then would that include uh, Lucille Ball? Because she guest starred with Superman. Probably not. I Well, Paramount would be upset, but I think mm. we could do this. <laughs> Make it happen. I'm, I am. Uh, Got to have this. Um, all right. So let's go here. Um uh, Damien Patrick Wim says, seriously, why can't I think of any good questions? I don't have an answer for you, Damien. I'm sorry. 42. <laughs> um, Don Witzel wants to know, do you prefer gummy bears, hard candy, or ice cream while reading comics? Or what's your go-to snack? Mm, jelly beans. Jelly beans for 
for seven. Specifically, though, jelly bellies, because regular jelly beans are gross, and the black ones are just gross. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, then sometimes the jelly bellies, they have those dark blue ones, and I bite into them just in case because I don't know if they're black licorice or not, and then I spit out the black licorice ones because they're <laughs> gross. Okay, I agree. <laughs> do, you, do you eat anything when you're reading? No. No? No. I drink. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm in for a long haul, yeah, I'll pour a glass of wine or something, mm. but I know... No, I no. You, you get like Cheetos on your books or something. Yeah, well, nothing dusty, nothing that has yeah. like uh, a mess. Other than I do love gummy bears, an uncomfortable oh, amount. <laughs> I could house a whole bag of gummy bears really, really easily, um, and they're good comic reading thing because you know you can just a couple. It's like just like jelly beans. It's like the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, delicious, small, like no mess at all. Um, there's not even any residue. It's not like you even get any like sugary residue in your hands unless you're putting them in your mouth and then taking them out of your mouth, <laughs> which I don't know why you'd be doing that. Um, residue of joy. <laughs> and I just spread it all over my face. <laughs> and then I just swim in it. Yeah. Uh, that was from Don Witzel, by the way. Um, he also, he also says, I challenge Bob to a cheesecake making contest, West coast versus East. There's no such thing as West coast cheesecake. <laughs> Is there? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, well, there's New York cheesecake, and then there's everything else. Yeah, but I, even the cheesecake they don't call New York cheesecake, I think, was created in New York. Yeah, Italian cheesecake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hungarian cheesecake. Yeah. West Coast cheesecake. I'd, I'd like to see what West Coast cheesecake is. Yeah. It's got, like, avocados and goat cheese in it. And, and pineapple <laughs> yeah. on the top. And arugula. It's made with kale. Um, see, I uh, Pinkleverse could be made with kale. All I know is... I this is a half a cheesecake in my fridge, so it, it it's you know I'll mail it out to him. I gotta tell there's you, there's a multiverse of cheesecake. It is. <laughs> I gotta tell you, Don, you don't want to have that battle. Just so you know, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> you don't really don't want to have that battle. I've had a lot of cheesecake in my life, and I think Bob's is by far the best. Bob, now I want cheesecake made by you. <laughs> well, you'll be here, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Coming in October. We'll, okay. I'll make sure you have you over and we'll do some cheesecake. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, this is from Brent Clark. He says, which, we talked a little about TV shows already, but it says, which comic book TV show, new or returning, are you most looking forward to? Netflix shows can count as well. Hmm. Oh. Well, well they, go ahead, Steph. For returning shows, I wasn't stoked for Arrow season three, but some of the new promos for it have made me like, I'm like, I'm into this. I'm way into this. And Katie Lotz appears to be back, which, you know, makes me confident and happy that Wet Blanket isn't going to (laughs) become the thing that I feared she might be. Except, except they cast, I can't remember the character's name. I'm going to say it's like Wildcat or something like that. The person who trains... Diana Lance to become yeah. Black Canary. They oh. cast that character for Arrow season three. Bobby, don't tell so me So all that. the signs are pointing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she'll die. I don't think oh. that's gonna happen. Um. Well, okay. So aside from that, I'm I'm kind of stoked to see where season three of Arrow goes. They're gonna have Katana in it. Yeah. They, yeah. Katana is is fully in it. Yeah. I think that's um, awesome. And Devin Aoki was supposed to be in it, but she's not anymore. But aside from like that's my excited returning show. Um, but I'm excited for like Daredevil as my new show. 
Yeah, absolutely. Bob, what about you? How many of the Netflix ones are coming on for a season, or is it just Daredevil? Um, well, we know we only, the only thing we know is Daredevil right now. Okay. It seems like Jessica Jones is that is the next. Um, so I would only I would probably only include Daredevil because okay. it's the only one we know about. Then I'll say for new show Agent Carter. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. That. <laughs> um, returning, I don't watch Arrow. No brickbats, please. I tried a couple of times. Uh, maybe I'll try for season three. So that would leave me with Shield because that's all that's left. So I'll say Agents of Shield. Though they do have the Absorbing Man coming, which is pretty cool. Uh, Arrow, obviously the returning one. It's the only one I've been watching. I haven't been watching Shield. I'm super stoked for it. I mean, I, I I have grown to really really love that show. And as far as new, it's tough. There's a, there's a lot of new stuff coming and stuff that all of it I think looks pretty good. Um, I, I know we've heard uh, mixed to bad things about the Constantine pilot, but uh, good pilot or bad pilot, it's not always indicative of the, the mm-hmm. quality of the of the full series. Um, but I'd probably say I'm most excited for the Flash because it feels just the realest to me. Um, but I'm definitely going to be most invested, most likely, in Daredevil. I mean, just I love the character. The fact they're doing it at Netflix, the fact they're doing street-level stuff, I think is just really, really mm-hmm. great. Um, but, you know, I also I really do want to – I'm really interested in seeing how iZombie turns out. Um, I know that it's going off of the book a little bit or a lot, uh, but I think the creative team behind it is really solid. Uh, you know, the, it's the Veronica Mars people bringing it in, and I think that – um, it has potential to be something really, really cool if, if they can do it right and it's different. It's not a superhero thing. So I, I think it has great potential. But definitely it's The Flash and uh, Arrow for me. Super excited that we get it's, they're both on. It's crazy to me to think that, yeah. that those two characters are going to be on TV. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, all right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for uh, questions I'm going to get to. Um we're going to take another little break and then we're going to come back with Stephanie's interview. Um, and then we'll be back. God damn it. Sorry. What's wrong? Fucking cat. Oh. <laughs> Carry on everyone. I was like, well, are you upset that I'm, I'm putting your interview no. in now? <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I know I normally mute things, but I, okay. God, she just slammed my door shut and then grabbed my cord again and tried to run. She knows you're going away. You, you said before she saw the strange guy with the keys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, She's not very menace. happy Menace. Menace to society. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I guess now stay tuned for Stephanie's interview. Yay! <laughs> we'll come back and do the comic book uh, release list. All right, this is Stephanie here at Fan Expo for Talking Comics. And I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. Fred Kennedy. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Yes, thank you for being here, or rather, rather? Rather. rather me being here at your booth. Well, you make it look a lot nicer than just a bunch of dudes hanging out back here. Aww. And you bring credibility, which is awesome. No way. <laughs> but you are awesome. Like, you you are on the edge here in Toronto. You are in tel- on Teletoon. You're like a big deal. No, well, not in comics, unfortunately. It'd be great if I was a bigger deal in comics. It's funny how, like, what's that quote? But what I really want to do is write. I feel like it's me all the time. And I'm like, oh, I'm like that cliche guy. I'm Nick Cage. 
Remember yeah. Nick Cage's sweet comic that he made with his son that was terrible? That's what I want to do. Or what's his name? Gerard uh, Way from My Chemical Romance, who yeah, became but, famous but then did comics, and that's what he wanted to do. But the Umbrella Academy is actually pretty good. It is, it's amazing. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And I avoided it for so long. Because, but then, yeah, I dig that, man. But, oh. like, I just, I feel like sometimes maybe people, like, have that vibe with what I'm doing as well. And it's something you got to break down, and it just it just takes time. So I had like a five-year plan with comics, and I'm in the fifth year right now. And I think with the book that we just did with the Fourth Planet with Miko Mikhajic, like it's just it's what I I wrote what I wanted to read, and I feel that it's the strongest thing I've ever done. Yeah, it's awesome. This is like your follow-up. You have two in. Yeah. So this is the third volume. How how long ago did this one come out? Well, the two the fourth volume of Teuton came out right. It came out last summer, and it was a long work in progress, and it was a long grind to get it all done. Just because it's like it's like 400 pages long, and mm -hmm. for an indie book, that's really huge. And so it just takes a long time to get that done. But now that we're done with it, and, and when I say that the Fourth Planet is this amazing thing, that's not taking away from Teuton. It's just Teuton was like like a, a very strict genre story of sword and sorcery, like medieval history stuff, historical fiction. But the Fourth Planet is just it's out to lunch like it's very ethereal like panels that are just about feelings and Miko is really conveying it like I'm really proud of it yeah okay so today is Saturday but yes. I, I ran into you on the floor on Thursday and you said if you go by my booth you are gonna see that book and you're gonna buy it and I said I can't buy things today because I'm waiting until you know later in the weekend and you said if you see it you're going to buy it. And I did. I came to the booth. I looked at it. I looked at Miko's art. And I was like, here is my money. Well, it's ballsy to do in the sense that, like, it, it's risky to do what we were doing with it. Because we've got passages where, like, it, you know how some people get turned off by, like, going into dream sequences. And there's entire passages of the book that are more about emotional backstory that give you the motivation of what's going on. And sometimes people think that that's like taking away from the forward momentum of the story, but I think it gives what momentum there is way more weight. So when you pick it up and you see that, like, you don't even need to read the dialogue. You just need to take a look at what's on there and you immediately know what's going on, feelings-wise. That vibe is there with the use of colors. Uh, the, the use of palettes that he's got, like the color palettes are fantastic. I hope that's the right term because I'm not an oh, artist. It's beautiful. Oh, I'm, I love it. I am very proud of it. All right. So what is it all about? What is going on? Do you want me to give you the log line? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's the log line. You ready for this? <laughs> an interstellar exodus crashes into an extraterrestrial renaissance. All right. It's about like these human slaves crashing on a planet. They're outnumbered by all these aliens that are already there, and they're forced to almost become what they were running away from in order to survive. And how long has this been in the works? The actual initial idea came about five years ago, and it started as fan fiction for Battlestar Galactica. We were talking about this <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit earlier, but that's—I know, I know mean, when you say that, like people go, "Oh no!" But no, like it's—I like, got excited. I was like, "What? Tell me more!" It's so much more than that now. It's just that was the initial idea. All right. So, who, do, you, do you have like you? You were telling me that the art reminds you a little bit of. Ribbon, yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I said, when I looked at the art, when, when Miko gave me the test page, what I said was, this is like if Assad Ribic had done Arkham Asylum. That's what I thought. 
and because it's got the like you know how like uh, Arkham Asylum has like that that jagged painted mm -hmm. look, yep. and Assad Ribic has that really beautiful blending of colors. Yep. It's like that, if that makes any sense. I know if they it's got a really married and had a yeah, love yeah, child. Yes, a sexy, sexy love child. Yep. That's what it would be. All right, and how, like aside from the Battlestar Galactica fan fiction, how did it evolve? Well, okay, I'm like a huge. I wanted to be an anthropologist, like a paleo, a paleo anthropologist, like studying human evolution. That's really a long way from. I know because my dad gave me this big speech when I was Although, fifteen. I mean, you are on radio. And yeah. TV. He goes. He's like, because I know that you want to do this. He goes, but I'm warning you, that's ten years of school, and you'll graduate with X amount of student debt. Whereas if you do community college for broadcasting for two years, you'll graduate with X minus. $90,000 worth of student debt and it was just a real financial decision on my part and so in that whole paleo anthropology learning that I did there was a point in human history where there were three hominids all vying for survival and humanity being alone as a species is very unusual like you look at sharks there's a lot of dominant sharks you look at cats there's a lot of dominant cats so this planet has three dominant intelligent species that are all warring for survival, each with their own unique attributes that directly reflect where they're from and where they live and what environment they choose to survive in. So the humans crashing on there are forced to deal with all three of them on their own planet. All right. Yeah. Is there... Is there anyone you'd recommend this to? Like, say, if you like this, you'll like this. Well, Kalman Andershovsky gave me an awesome line today. He came by and he goes, he goes, it's Game of Thrones meets Mass Effect. And I went, okay. I wouldn't have said that, but it really works. It really does feel like that. And when you open the book, open the book, take a look inside, immediately you'll go, this is really pretty. That's what the first it thing that you're going to really say. Pretty. It's beautiful. Look, the guy just picked up the book, just said it was really pretty. <laughs> you, yeah, you guys can't see this because obviously we're just doing a recording, but it happened. I can verify. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're a fan yeah. of highbrow sci-fi. Can you say that? I have to agree with that assessment, yes. See? that We did not pay him. No. But we'll definitely let him borrow a copy of the book. Yes. 100%. <laughs> so, again, you were telling me that this is something that you're the most proud of like that you've oh absolutely so like everybody has that one moment where they feel like where you're starting to write something and you're finished and it's not what you wanted it to be when you started this is better than what I wanted it to be like I couldn't I could never have thought that it would turn out as well as it did I'm I'm very self-depreciating with stuff that I work on like I'll give a book to an editor and I'll be like this part's good but this part's lacking and that's lacking I'll put it into somebody's hands right now and go, it's awesome. And that's all I have to say. And where do you find the time to do all this? I mean, again, you work at The Edge, you work at the radio station, you do Teletune, and you have comics. Where do you find the time? I just don't, I don't know. You it's, don't it's, I do, I do. Not a lot because I've got babies, but it's time management, man. Like, I don't, I get really frustrated when people say they're too busy to do something they really want to do. If you really want to do it, you'll find the time to do it. It's just it's just time management. What's your process? Like how do you go from, you know, this idea that's in your head from again Battlestar Galactica and yeah. you've told us how it's, you know, evolved, but what's your process? Like how did you get this all on paper exactly how you would want it to be? Because 
with this one, like I started with the initial idea, and then I did a bunch of research on like uh, society building, especially on society. I forget the name. He's a he's a Japanese American guy, and he always talks about how like societies evolve and how. We have this really lauded opinion about ourselves, thinking that an alien species would want to talk to us. It's the same way as looking at, we don't want to talk to ants. Maybe that's the way they look at us. So I tried to incorporate those types of ideas and themes into the book itself. But in terms of the actual writing execution, I wrote a paragraph and then I wrote like little point forms about like the, how much I could fit in the issue and then a line for each page, broke that down into panels. Just a little note, 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 and then I, ex I gave that to Miko, and he gave me some sketches, and then I broke that down into specific panels and scripted it. And we chose it to do, like, on, like, uh, square pages. Mm -hmm. So I refused, for this, because of the size, I refused to do more than four panels on a page. All right. So. And how did you hook up with Miko? Like, how did you We tabled, meet? like, we tabled next to each other about three years ago, and I put out a call for people on the internet saying... <laughs> Hey man, I'm looking for artists to do a book with. Um, if you're interested, email me. And then Miko sent me this email, and my initial reaction was, "Dude, I think you're a bit beyond this." I, as what I, I actually said that, and he remembers me saying it. He goes, "No, I just love the idea. Like I love this idea. I want to do it." And then I, so I gave him the test script and the little breakdown of things. And my my method was. If you send me questions about it, I'm not gonna. You, you're not getting the job. So, because I didn't want to have to do something where I needed to hold somebody's hand and over-explain everything, I wanted somebody who got the story to the point that they could add to it. And it became their passion project. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly. And so, I'm not gonna lie. Miko's page was nothing like what I was looking for. Nothing at all. But. There's this, and, and the test page he sent is in the back of the book, and the way he did it, like, the action in it is so dynamic, and, the, like, oh, it's awesome. Like, it blew me away. It wasn't, like, anything I wanted. It was, I just looked at it, and, I, and it was that one, uh, it's a line from Last of the Mohicans, when, when Hawkeye is talking about how his brother's going to choose his wife, and he will look at her, and he'll say, you are the one, and she will bear him many children. I feel like that was what happened when he sent me that test page. If anybody like loves that movie like I do, they'll totally get it. Okay. There's actually some action scenes that are inspired by uh, Last of the Mohicans because the Yultan, who are one of the races in the book, are just beginning to use fire, like gunpowder and stuff. Okay. And there's a in the next in the next book, there's a scene in it that is very similar to that. Oh. All right. Like guys in the jungle and hiding and oh, I'm really excited about it. So after they read The Fourth Planet, what is one thing that you want the reader to take away from it? That it's it's not over the top like, it's not over the top sci-fi, that the characters are relatable and you can see their, like the groundwork for individual development as to who they are. Because they might be aliens, but they're still relatable. You can relate to them. So it's a bit like Battlestar in the sense yeah. that it's sci-fi, but it's not really. It's a drama kind of just set in yeah. a sci-fi way. Ray Fox, read it. You'll get a thank you in the book, man. I thank you in the book. Yeah. We talked about that at the show last year. This is the one. Ray Fox is here taking a look at the fourth planet for everyone who cannot see this currently he happening. He just put down, he put down cookies to he look at it. He put down cookies <laughs> and chips so that he could look at this. And chips. 
and chips, all yeah. dressed chips. It's fifteen dollars. He is buying it. Oh my god! <laughs> Things are happening. Commerce, commerce in action. Um, yeah, it's 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 a, it's character driven sci-fi, and you feel for the people that are. Thank you, man. Oh, money has been exchanged. Are you gonna have this online as well? You, it is. This we, is its debut here. Yeah, at this Expo. We, we debuted the print copy this week, and it's um, we post pages every 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 Monday. We haven't posted pages for the last week because we were getting ready for the show, and we didn't want people to buy it and then be like, "I've already seen all this on the internet. Why would I buy it?" So I buy, the things that I buy web comics of or I read web comics of, I buy physical copies of. Yeah, too. and and so in two weeks, like Miko's gonna have new pages and. Oh, I'm getting. I'm seriously getting goosebumps just thinking about so, this scene that's coming up. Obviously, this isn't over. This is just the beginning no. of it. So this is. Just you're gonna get to the last page, and you're gonna be like, "Oh man, I want more." Oh no. Which is the oh, which is exactly in a good way. Want. Yes. In a good way. In a good oh way. no, in a. This is gonna be my new addiction. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. All right, and where can you see the new comics? It's just it's on BigSexyComics.com, which is my my comic book website. There's okay. also my novellas and short stories are all on there too, and it's. I am super... Oh, Assad Ribic. We just talked about him. Uh, <laughs> and then he walks by. There are just so many things happening here. And so it's... <laughs> I don't know. Like, the pages that are coming are great. BigSexyComics.com. Go there. And don't ever feel hesitant to send me feedback on Twitter. I'm at underscore... I'm at fearless underscore Fred. And my email is always just fred at edge.ca. I'd love to hear from you. I was going to just ask you where people can get a hold of you, but you just dumped the gun. It's like you do this for a living it's or like, something. It's like I've been on your end of the microphone Yeah, before. it's like I don't even need to ask the questions. Yeah. You know what's coming. Well, I just want I just want this to sound good. You, and it does. And for anyone who, you know, is like, oh, this sounds cool, and I don't know, maybe I'll go check out. Like, seriously, blind buy this book. It is amazing. Go check it out on the website. I seriously looked at the art and was like, sold. This is thank you, amazing. So I actually, Steve, our other podcaster here, he's visiting Fan Expo today, and I brought him by the booth. Yeah, he, he looked at it. He gave money for the book. He bought yes. it with money. Yeah. He looked and was like, done. So, so good. me and Steve both say thumbs up to this so Thank far. You. Even though we haven't read it yet. But Dude, I like that's the thing, like as the writer, like when people like see a book, they see the art, they love it, they get it. I'm a hundred percent confident that when people see it and read it, they'll they'll love the story too. They'll feel like it's breaking at the right points, it's hooking you along. Because really what we need to do is establish who all these people are so that you actually care about them and they're not just plot pieces. They're there's there's this one particular scene where you see this one character get like somebody tries to humiliate her and it does nothing it doesn't phase her at all but then one net another character with a passing sentence just breaks her and it's just for me the way Miko drew her eyes in it was like heartbreaking which is awesome and it sounds so bad to say but yeah like you feel all emotional about it yeah but that's what you want hold on okay do you need to buy that right now Okay, I'll sign it. I'll sign it. Yes. You, oh, that'd make a great plot for the show. Carmen San Diego stole my book from my table. Yeah, Waldo and Carmen San Diego are here right now. She went to a planet whose she went to a country whose flag has fourteen blue stripes. <laughs> the street urchin says, "I saw her going this way." She said she was going to a country that's main export was pomegranates. Seriously, love that game, man. Wow, Fred. You have people that are lined up here to check out Tudin and 
the fourth planet, I assume. I assume Carmen is going to... I assume you're also going to want to look at the fourth planet. We've just been talking about it, and I can vouch. It's awesome. So I will let you get back to all this. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much Dude, for Dude, thank, thank you for letting me come... Like, thank you for letting me talk about it on the podcast. No, I appreciate it. This is a book that I think people are going to love to see and want to see more of. So hopefully we will be keeping an eye on you and on the book and good things are going to come from you in the future I think. Give me a big pound. Shabam. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alright, we're back. Great interview, Stephanie. Great, Thank you. Great job. Uh, really good quality too on the audio uh, for the convention. That can be tough to do. Um, so good job with that. Thanks. Um, Alright, so uh, let's move on to what's on the shelves uh, right now. Um, from Avatar Press, we have Cross Badlands, number 60, Extinction Parade, War, number 3, uh, George R. R. Martin's In the House of the Worm, number 2, we've got God is Dead, number 19, uh, we've got Uber, number 17, uh, let's see, from Boom Studios, we have Big Trouble in Little China, number 4, uh, we've got... Clive Barker's Nightbreed, number four. Cloaks, number one. Garfield, number 29. Lumberjanes, number five. Robocop, number three. Steven Universe, number two. The Woods, number five. Um, from Dark Horse Comics, uh, we've got Angel and Faith, season 10, number six. Uh, we've got Concrete Park, P- Concrete Park Respect, number one of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got... Um, Grendel versus the Shadow, number one. Uh, we've got, let's see, it's a lot of statues and stuff <laughs> that, that are coming out. Uh, Michael Avon Oming's The Victories, number 15. We've got um, Sin City. Nope, that again is a some sort of. The Big Fat No, Sin it's City. Sin City Coaster Set, number oh. two. And Magnet Set, number two. Um, the numbers threw me off. Yeah. Uh, Usually I skip over that stuff. Terminator, Enemy of My Enemy, number five of six. And Yusabi, Yusagi Yojimbo Senso, number two. Um, from DC Comics, we've got Action Comics, Future's End, number one. So here we go. The month, uh, every September, uh, uh, as yep. we always talk about, DC does a special event to kind of commemorate the launch of the new 52. They did zero issues the first year. Last year they did Villains Month, and now they're doing this Future's End, which um, is... I don't know. I don't think they really tie in to the event that's going on, the, the weekly, but they are kind of like five years later, the ends of these characters mm-hmm. types of thing. Um, we've got, so Action Comics Future's End is out. Aquaman Future's End is out. Uh, Batman Eternal number 22 is out. Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet number four. Uh, Batwing Future's End. We've got uh, Detective Comics Future's End. Earth 2 Future's End. Ferris number 29. Um, we've got Grayson's Future's End, Green Arrow Future's End, Green Lantern Future's End, Hinterkund number 11. Uh, we've got Justice League number 33. That's not a Future's End. Uh, we've got Names number 1, um, New 52 Future's End number 18, which that is the regular series. Um, Scooby-Doo Team Up number 6, Swamp Thing Future's End. Um, we've got Teeny Titan. Tiny Titans Return to the Treehouse, number four. Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, Future's End. And that's the end for DC. Um, hold on a second here. I'm looking up something for later. <laughs> hold on a second. Okay. All right, from Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Alice Cooper, number one. Blood Queen, number four. Chaos, number five. We've got Deja of Mars, number four. 
New Vampirella, number four. Um, we've got, uh, let's see, Red Sonia, The Black Tower, number one. Uh, Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, number seven. Twilight Zone, number eight. Uh, from IDW, Angry Birds Comics, number four. <laughs> we've got Indestructible, number eight. Uh, we've got Mars Attacks, Firstborn, number four. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, number 23. Um, Rogue Trooper Classic, number five. Uh, Silent Hill Downpour and Story, number one. Uh, Squitter, number three of four. Star Mage, number six of six. Uh, we've got no Transformers book this week, Bob. So <gasps> no guesses for you. Oh. Uh, from Image Comics, we've got Aphrodite nine, number nine. Uh, we've got Elephant Men, number fifty nine. God hates astronauts, number one. Hack slash Son of Samhain, number three. Madame Frankenstein, number five. Uh, Nailbiter, number five. Nightworld, number two. Sidekick, number eight. Southern Bastards, number four. Tech Jacket, number three. Uh, from Marvel Comics. Oh, you missed my favorite image book of the week. Which one? Giant Size Kung Fu Bible Stories. Oh, it says not verified by Diamond, Bob. I don't read not verified by uh, Diamond uh, books, okay? Oh, man. But yes, there is a book called Giant Size Kung Fu Bible Stories. <laughs> that is $20 from Image Comics. It's a giant treasury-sized edition with uh, Eric Larson stories and Adam Warren. Oh, wow, uh, okay. Adams. All sorts of new weird stuff. They were giving it away at San Diego or selling it at San Diego, and they, uh, they put it out. Okay. It's, well, if it's actually coming out, then... <laughs> it'll be out. Well, it's in our covers of the week, so... Oh, okay. Uh, from Marvel Comics, we've got all-new Dupe, number 505, all-new X-Factor, number 13, uh, Avengers World, number 12, Black Widow, number 10, uh, Captain America, number 24, uh, Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three, The Prisoner, number 1, um, we've got Deadpool versus X Force number four, Death of Wolverine number one. <gasps> um, there's like a million covers. Um, yeah. We've got Figment number four of five, Hawkeye versus Deadpool number zero. Um, we've got uh, Iron Fist the Living Weapon number six, Legendary Star Lord number three, Miracle Man number ten, Moon Knight number seven. We've got Original Sin number eight of eight, uh, Punisher number ten. Uh, we've got Rocket Raccoon, number three, She-Hulk, number eight, Spider-Man 2099, number three, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number 15, Uncanny X-Men, number 25, sorry, not 23, 25 is out, um, and um, X-Men, number 19 is out. So then we got Titan Publishing, we've got um, uh, Sally of the Wasteland, number two is out uh, from Valiant Entertainment, Death Defying Dr. Mirage, which I mentioned before. Number one is out. And from Xenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales presents Masumi number two and Tales of Terror number two. And that is what it's on shelves right now. Um, all right. So if you guys want to get in touch with us, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com, and TalkingComicBooks.com is the website where you can check out all our news, uh, reviews, columns, and all of our podcasts, which are Talking Comics, obviously, which you're listening to. Um, we have The Misfits with Stephanie Cook, Melissa Megan, and Mara Wood. Um, you guys just did a listener question show. Do you know what your next show is going to be yet? Yes. Our next show is um, we're going through our top favorite comic book characters. Ooh. Oh, nice. Very top nice. favorite? Our top five? I got what you meant. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, we also have Talking Movies with Brian Verderosa and Chris Oliphant. They just wrapped up their biopic section with um, Chaplin. Is actually what they did this Ooh. week. Uh, next week, they're doing a one-off special uh, Rob Williams show. They're going to do The Fisher King. 
Uh, and then um, I'm not sure what they're doing after that, but that's that's pretty much an event. Nice. They just finished their box office derby. I did not win. Oh, and you were robbed. At the last the last week, I ended up coming in third, not second. Uh, listener, great listener of the show, Dan Sims, beat me by $2 million. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a pittance, a mere pittance. A mere pittance. Uh, but congratulations to Dan and congratulations to uh, Megan Bard, who won the entire thing. Uh, uh, of course, we have Talking Valiant. Uh, with Adam Shaw and uh, talking games, uh, usually hosted by our, our very own Steve Say, but he is away. Uh, so uh, Justin Townsend will be hosting, ah. uh, and they're doing a special on video game music this week. Uh, yeah, so that'll be very cool. We also got a couple of special things coming up. Um, I, uh, Justin and I are actually with a friend of his doing a little special one-off show. I'm trying to build a new gaming PC. Uh, for around $600, $700, and he's going to spec it out for me, and we're going to do a show about picking those parts and how you can kind of get those things, kind of demystifying uh. it a little bit from the, you know, if you want a good gaming PC, you have to spend thousands of dollars. Um, we're going we're gonna to build that, and, and we'll, we'll put that out as well. And I just started a, um, a Let's Play series of horror games uh, with uh, my uh, soon-to-be wife, uh, Karen. Uh, we're, we're now playing through the original Silent Hill uh, on PlayStation 1, so the first part of that is up now as well um bob i know you had uh we had a, a, a comic book passing yes we did uh and a long islander too a fellow named stan goldberg passed at 82 on sunday most famous over the last 45 years or so for work with archie it'd been over there as an artist and colorist but he had started far back as 1949 with timely as both penciler and colorist and worked on the original millie the model with dan DiCarlo, who worked with at mm-hmm. archie as well was a freelancer fairly early on, but as, as I mentioned before, the Fantastic Four number nine, he's the colorist. Oh, wow. He created the color palettes basically for all the Marvel characters. So the reason they look as they do in color is Stan Goldberg did it. He was doing conventions till the very last. He's actually got a story in the new Marvel 75th anniversary collection. Oh, okay. It's an Archie-styled Peter Parker story called That Parker Boy. Oh, wow. So his work will be in everyone I've spoken to who encountered him at shows or whatever. He was just the nicest fellow at time with, uh, to share a story with you and do a sketch and whatever. So the family of Stan Goldberg, uh, our condolences, and he gave a lot to this wor- crazy world we're all in. So our thanks to him, too. All right. Um, thank you for saying that, Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so uh, we had a, um, a listener at uh, Juicerelli on Twitter ask if you're interested in the book called names which is coming out this week it's peter milligan it's a horror series um i'm definitely gonna be getting it and reading it so we'll talk about that next week and i'll let you know uh how it was but uh, i think peter milligan's a great writer so i'm definitely interested in in checking that out mm-hmm. um you're interested I in it too stephanie to read it. yeah if i managed to actually read anything between <laughs> now and tuesday yeah, it's supposed to be a horror series. It's supposed to be um, like the Wolf of Wall Street crossed with Kill Bill. Is on with the world with deals wow. and, and hedge funds and stuff like that. So it seems like kind of a juicy, a juicy place to to, to mine and uh, a good, cool place for horror. It reminds me a little bit like American Psycho or something like that. Yeah. So uh, I'm interested to check it out. Yeah, definitely. And and the, all the preview pages I saw, the art uh, has, has been really really nice and, and really intense. So. I definitely want to check that out. The artist is uh, Leonardo Fernandez. So, yeah, definitely we'll talk about that next week. And thanks, everybody, who wrote in and asked us questions. Awesome, yeah, awesome. Good que- really good questions. That, they're always good, but these were really different. They were. They were yeah. different. I, we, got, we got a couple different ones. We got a, some humorous ones, which we, we, which we really, really love. 
Um, thank you guys so much for that. Um, thank you guys for you know all the everything you contribute to the site and to the forums and to the comments and on the social networks. We really couldn't do without you guys. So thank you, thank you so much. If you guys didn't get a chance, um, I know sometimes people avoid uh, the interview shows because they don't they they'd rather just hear us yabber on um if you guys didn't listen to last week's show the batgirl show make sure you guys check it out because uh the, all three guests were really really awesome and I, I think that if you listen to that show uh you will definitely be excited about picking up batgirl mm. and, and they just seem like really really great m- new not new but rising members of the comic book community so i i i think that it definitely deserves a listen not for mm. us f- for that yes <laughs> they they went into like you know a lot of process stuff too yeah absolutely and they they did a lot of things that i don't think many guests that we've previously had on the show have delved into and i think it is actually one of the best interviews that we've had on talking comics to date i absolutely agree with you absolutely amen um, so check that out. Um, make sure you guys, if you guys like an article or you guys have a different opinion with somebody, right for, I know uh, we love you using the forums, but you know if you comment on their articles, that's great too for for the writers yeah. have discussions with them. Um, and uh, there's a little bit of discussion about this on the forum. I just want to clear something up. When we say to be respectful and nice to each other, that does not mean you're not allowed to disagree with each other. It mm-hmm. just means do it without being an asshole. That's basically the that's basically the the rule. Personal attacks, right out. Yeah, exactly. No personal attacks, but it doesn't mean you guys always have to agree. You don't always have to apologize when you don't agree. Uh, don't. Lord th- knows, Bobby and I don't always. That's absolutely you know, true. Agree or that's why we re- you know. we really bitter enemies outside of the podcast. We just yeah. pretend yeah. for the show. <laughs> that's the pretense, right there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I just want to. You know, this is the the biggest avenue to deliver that message to, because you know, obviously, it's it's kind of the most popular thing on our site. So I want to make sure everyone hears that from this. Do not worry about that. You guys can disagree. Just make sure you guys keep it civil and about the thing you're disagreeing about. No personal attacks, and then everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, just treat each other with respect. You know, people who respect each other disagree all the time, and that's what you just have to remember. Uh, all right, so that's gonna do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Bob, a belated happy birthday to Jack Kirby, eight twenty eight. Oh yes, seventeen. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I you know I, I posted on Twitter, but Phil Hester was doing sketches for the for the mm-hmm. birthday, and I, I did a clearing the witch boy for him. Awesome. It should be coming uh, relatively soon. Um, you know, it was if you give to the Hero Initiative, you would get a sketch. I mean, it doesn't mean you shouldn't give to it anyway because it's a great great right. cause. Um, yeah. So le- that was a, that was a good point. Um, obviously, we could do we, we should do like whole months dedicated to Jack yeah. Kirby, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't want to just fit it into the end like this all the time. But uh, that will be then for the Talking Comics podcast. Yeah. For Bob. Good night, Jack. <laughs> Stephanie. Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.